Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Podcast like it. Just podcast like it. Podcast like it's 1999 podcast like it's 1999 podcast like it you want a podcast like it's 1999 hello and welcome to podcast like it's 1999 the podcast where we talk about the films of 99 from the morgue here in 2018 wow. the morgue that's a dark yeah, yeah I, know. Turn. I, I told you i'd like it and you i'm not sure not. we see a morgue in this movie no. well no they you don't see a morgue but you know that's where they're all going <laughs> because the movie that we're doing today is the virgin suicides true story a movie where five girls kill themselves um not all of them virgins that's true. That's true. Which hey. kind of bothered me. Coming in hot. <laughs> hot takes. And we're doing it. We're doing this today with. Um, well, you first of all, who are you? I'm Kenny Nybart. That's true. He's <laughs> the co-host. <laughs> I'm Phil Abisco. I'm just so excited because I know. truly one of my favorite people. Yeah. Is here with us today. Oh, one of mine too. One of mine too. One of our favorite people. It's true. Allison Ankle, the direct the head of <laughs> direct you just, he just act about who are in Hollywood they won't, don't yeah, understand but like head what of, an ins- insult a director is sorry it's true. the head <laughs> of drama <laughs> and comedy at Shondaland it's true. indeed it's pretty big that place. checks out pretty yeah. it does check out mm-hmm. pretty big deal yeah. Allison Hagel uh, also uh, gave me my career thank you very much handed you handed, handed you a my career. career that's true what <laughs> No, she didn't. But she did. She did take a chance. I don't know. I mean, she did take a chance on me when I was down took a chance and out. on a kid. <laughs> <laughs> took a chance on a kid named Kenny. <laughs> took a chance on a kid when I was doubted out. Um, and uh, chose to do the version. And also, suicide. and also, quite frankly, got me a job. My and current job. Oh yeah, has, has to do with you got yourself yeah. that job. Well, I don't want to hear so any nice. more of this down talk. <laughs> Yes, okay, I appreciate right. it. Yeah. But uh, she is one of the finest executives in town, oh, and also one of our old friends, and. Just do the Virgin Suicide. Real into this movie, yeah. Yeah, real yeah. into this movie. Mm-hmm. It's a great movie. Um, 
Allison, before we get into the movie, sure. may I ask, where were you in 1999? Um, well, at the top of 1999, I was a uh, fresh-faced government major at Georgetown University in the city of Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you sound uh, like NPR right now, I was and it's say, amazing. You got, you got a sweaty balls thing going you on right now. Get used to it. <laughs> Face for radio. That's just not true. That's just not true. It's just not true. You know. Listen. So then I have the time of my life, freshman year of college, and I'm like, could it get better than this? Like, there's some Probably heartbreak. Not. There's some ups and downs. But at sure. the end of it all, I'm like, wow, I made the right choice. Mm-hmm. I've got friends for life here. Yeah. I know how to ruin this. Let's go home to Jersey yeah. for the summer, right? While everyone else goes off to like hot, sexy internships. Sure. I uh, I did actually return to a company I'd been working for in high school where we tried to like revitalize without totally gentrifying downtown centers. Okay. Um, working we worked out of Red, Red Bank, New Jersey, which yeah. was called the hippest city in New Jersey in the late '90s. My boss made that happen. Don't worry about it. Is that? Okay. It's where Chasing Amy takes place. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Well, the hippest, I mean, <laughs> not, the nothing, hippest, nothing's hipper than Kevin Smith. I was going to say the hippest, as you'll find city out on our Jersey. dogma episode. <laughs> yeah. That's a that's a hip hip movie. Pass yeah. on that. We're no, gonna do so- every movie from nineteen ninety nine except Dogma. Not true. We're doing Dogma. <laughs> We're gonna have to I hope that's true. I hope it's true. I've got thoughts on Dogma. Call me in on that one. Seriously, last movie. A lot yes. of thoughts. Last but, uh, movie that's just over true. my dead body. Oh my god. Anyway. But the look, the lucky part of this like summer of sadness. And like a lot of things did go wrong that summer, and I was just like, Oh my god, it's so weird to go from being like a almost real adult at college. And that uh-huh. first summer home is just Wow, I'm a kid again, right? Yeah, uh-huh. But my best friend since fourth grade, Ashley Lyle, whom I believe you had. Yes, guest of the pod. Friend yes. of the pod. Past guest, future guest. On the Drive Me Crazy. I mean, 10 Things I Hate About You episode. That's right. Um, Basically a Drive Me Crazy. Yes. Okay. She was also home for the summer, and so we got to hang out. Mm-hmm. And God, I hope I'm not misremembering this, but it was in the Red Bank, New Jersey Arts Theater that we sure actually saw this movie. Oh, really? Yes. And there was another movie called Whatever. And I'm forgetting, which was set, a kind of a coming-of-age teenage girl 80s movie that also came out that summer, mm-hmm. I believe. Unless okay. I'm Okay, I don't I'm know wrong. that movie. Has I'm, it not I'm, come across I'm, your 1999 no, time I'm machine? I'm looking it up right now. It's not, Maybe that was the summer of 2000. It's not impossible. I spent it's one, not impossible you watched this movie in theaters during 2000. In fact, it's quite likely. It was the summer of 2000 because... Is that right? It this is. Movie, it's a French, French drama. This movie will be covering it. Maybe one of our most controversial movies yet because it actually didn't debut in America until 2000. Wait, it, de- 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 debuted. it debuted at Cannes in 1999, oh. and we decide that we make the rules for this podcast. And the rules for this podcast are: we say it's a 1999 movie, it is, and therefore that's why this is also. Here. But yeah, we make the fucking rules. We this make podcast. the rules. It's our podcast. So, but you probably did see it in 2000. Whew, wow, yeah. this changes everything. Uh, listen, here's Does what it I want. I love being on a podcast and coming in wrong real fast. No. Uh, first of all, there's no wrong on happened. this podcast. That's not what happened. I mean, Kenny proves that in every podcast. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Constantly wrong. Um, <laughs> it's so funny because that's where I, wait, so that's where I was in 99. And what's weird about 99 when I went back to college yeah. is I slowly started to feel like I was being pulled in the direction of playwriting, screenwriting, film theory. And I took my first class with a professor, John Glavin. Um, that was kind of intro to all of that. He's, there's since been a Washington Post piece on him. He was a mentor to Jonah Nolan, mm-hmm. uh, Mike Birbiglia, my colleagues from my years, like Zalbut Monglich, Mike Cahill, all these people. We all kind of oh, wow. came up at the same time at Georgetown. And then there were comedy guys there, like Nick Kroll, John Mulaney, all those. 
Uh, all those folks. And basically, I think if not for this professor and if not for this movie, weirdly, which we'll get into, I'm not sure I would have gone so full force in the direction that I like added this as a major along with like going into English yeah. with a concentrating in writing and actually had the guts to like pursue a career in this business. It feels like it's a film that changed a lot of people's lives in a weird yeah. way. Mm-hmm. A, a, or in a great way. It, it feels like a movie that really sort of, I mean, obviously Sofia Coppola's life, but just in terms of the fact that she didn't seem like she really wanted to be a filmmaker. Yeah, she said that. On, on, in many articles, she talks about that. Never thought so. she'd be a filmmaker until she made this movie. Did she say that in 99 or 2000? Everything's called into question now, you guys. Well, you know, you really I mean, well, I didn't fuck Listen. it up. It's just facts. It's just life. <laughs> It's just, um, it's just like can't it's, change history. I had two sad summers in New Jersey in between college yeah, that's, years. That's, that's, that's all what I was means. really getting at. It's like, don't underestimate how many summers of yours were sad. That's the summer I was working at Donovan's Reef Beach Bar, serving shrimp and beers to people I went to high school with. So that let's, now it's let's all move on. I'm, Seriously. I'm, I'm, I'm depressed <laughs> just thinking about, about this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what other movies did you want to do in 1999? Um, I, well, obviously, I mean, what 1999 movies did you want to do? You obviously picked the 2000 movie, but... If I had been paying attention, what would I have done? Uh, Ten Things I Hate About You, I I felt a strong affinity for. Actually, I'll beat you to it. I know. uh, She didn't even like it. I know. She was pretty pretty, wishy-washy She's like, this movie sucks. Who would pick this movie? Yeah, she's like, drive me crazy. It's so much better. I said she's all that, and then I was like, I'm glad they didn't. They they, kind of called my bluff, because all I remember is that as a party trick sophomore year of college, I would do the um, Rockefeller skank dance that they pull out. I learned parts of it and did it at parties. There's a little... um, what was I watching recently that had a um, something for us? Like a little dance thing? No, it had a that had a Fatboy Slim. Oh, it's obviously Cruel Intentions. Um, <laughs> and then the other one know. was Election because I sure. fancied myself a bit of a Tracy Flick, for better or worse. I mean, I wished I for been. those that don't know Allison, she's got a little bit of Tracy Flick, especially in high school. Especially in just high school. A, I mean the perfect amount. Of president, Tracy Flick. Of, president of my school. You know, I really went. That's for cool. It. Yeah. That is Tell me more right? about Isn't that. that? It's pretty cool. It is cool. Um, I ran before I ran for president, I ran for vice president and I bought rulers from like a wholesaler mm-hmm. and put my mom printed stickers that said, rule out all the others, vote for Alison Akel, oh, taped them amazing. to every locker. That's, that's adorable. Cool. I so I Ooh. ran yeah. for representative to the student government for my class Okay, and <coughs> dressed up as Santa Claus and came out and said, if you sure. vote for me, every day will be Christmas and threw small toys that I... One from a 25 cent machine? Sure. Didn't win, bought. Sure. Uh, and lost. Interesting. It was pretty bad. How could you lose? That sounds um, like such a They saw through play. my very savvy classmates. They saw, saw through my gimmick. Um, <laughs> they saw I was just a gimmick. What are you going to do? I, was like, <laughs> I mean, they were the first. I'm no Jesse the Body Ventura, I guess. <gasps> oh, my God. Oh, wow. Was he uh, from 99? I think uh, he was, right? That was probably, about right. That's an interesting thing to cover. He was like a 99 personality in my brain, somewhere sounds when I was like in college. The Virgin Suicides. Yeah. As a movie. Yeah. What are our thoughts? Fans? Not fans? Still fans? Does it hold up? So I did that thing where I actually, I thought I'd seen it since it came out in that theater in 2000. Uh, I don't think I had. When I rewatched it, I realized, which is interesting. It's always fun to see like how does something hold Mm -hmm. up. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say that the first four-fifths of it actually were better than I even remembered. Mm. And I found- Four-fifths. Very specific fraction. Yes, of course. It's a five-act movie. Yeah, it's so. a five-act movie. Uh-huh, that's, how yeah, they, that's, that's, that's how it works. Isn't in that how Hollywood, movies break down? Yeah. In Hollywood? Uh, basically, <laughs> by, the, by the last fifth, though, I was like, what? And I can talk a little bit more about this, but it's, it's weird. I thought she gets so much right in terms of 
it is one of the most evocative movies I've right. ever seen, right? Uh-huh. And it makes it again, it it makes you feel like it, it's so weird. I thought that the whole movie was in the point of view of the girls, and yet you and then I before I watched yeah. it, I look on I IMDb and the log lines like five boys in suburban Detroit in the summer of nineteen seventy-four talk about the five girls who killed themselves they were bewitched with or something yeah. like that. And I'm like, oh fucking IMDb, like making it all about the male point of view. Right. Well the book is from the middle uh, Well, and I never read the book. So I read the Middlesex. You, well, Sophia Coppola has a great the, cool No, the movie is. I just didn't remember it that I, way. I love, I love the idea that you can either read. Uh, yes, yes, you get Middlesex. Or read, or read his Pulitzer Prize winning, no. uh, winning book, Middlesex. I'm, I read Middlesex, but the long and short of it was, in retrospect, I was like, I'm, I, I don't know how I feel about the, 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 satisfying, the satisfaction I got from the end of this or the, understand, the depth of understanding yeah. I Yeah. I mean, I think that Sophia Coppola has a great quote. Mm-hmm about this specific thing. She said, the book is definitely told from the POV of a group of boys. I was trying to keep that, but also keep that because it has a distance to it. It had a little bit of a collage feeling because it's piecing memories together. But it's true. I connected with the girly aspect of them and their inner world. And I loved the mystique they had and how the boys were so confused by all this femininity and feminine rituals. And when the first boy sneaks into the house and looks in the medicine cabinet, all that kind of stuff. But I just tried to interpret the feeling of the book and definitely that teenage girl world. I think of the movie as being feminine, but it's true. It's from the boy's point of view, imagining them as these kind of ethereal creatures and a kind of really going with that. So I think that that, that sort of satisfies both things. If you're, you know what I mean? I, I agree with you that like, no, yeah. it opens and it closes very much. It is bookended with Which I'm the perspective of the with. boys. It's, yeah. it's more the fact that watching it now as a 38 year old woman and not as like a contemporary of the girls, although sure. not in the same time period, sure. there was something about it where, and I don't know if this is like a dulling of my sensitivity or reactions, but it felt like it escalated very quickly mm-hmm. to the place where they were ready to kill themselves on mass, right? If just to truly think of it, take away like the surrealism of the movie in so many ways. But then I did think to myself, well, it's because the story is being told through the memories of these guys, and these are guys who they never got answers, yeah. right? Yeah. They never got answers. Yeah. But also, yeah. I think if you view this movie uh, through plot, it falls apart. It's not what. That's not the way this movie is intended to be taken in. Right. I would I would also say so, yeah. maybe all of Sofia Coppola's films, if you really look at plot, oh, they don't well, hold together so hot. Maybe, but 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 I just don't think it's important to her. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I don't think that that's what they're trying to do. And I think your your last point about the evocative nature of them. Yeah, yeah. Be, it's it's a, obviously a specific choice of the novel and of this movie to go through the viewpoint of not just a boy. I think like a 13, 14, 15 year old boy, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Someone who really has no experience yeah. with the opposite sex mm-hmm. someone who really does and you know you know how that is well Phil, you and i i think you're forgetting there is one guy who's pretty slick with the ladies who? oh john fontaine sure Philly but even fontaine. even in the neighborhood boys though one paul baldino i totally forgot there was a character in this named paul baldino, paul baldino. played by robert schwartzman who i adore uh-huh uh, my fiance's name is Baldino. Baldino, yeah. Oh, I, I have never that. seen a Baldino represented in TV and film. Good thing you didn't say anything bad about it. Uh, well, let's say the movie says something bad about it because then Paul Baldino is the son of Sammy the uh, Shark yeah, Baldino. Mobster, of course. <laughs> All Baldinos are mobsters. Everyone knows that. I'm marrying into the mob. Yeah. But I thought that was delightful. He also has a great scene where he hits on Kathleen Turner in the basement. Yeah. And uh, It's a great scene. What a ladies' man. What a ladies' man. I love him. I, I mean, I, I have to say that the film... When I saw it originally, I liked it. 
I don't know if I necessarily loved it. Like I loved the vibe of it, sort of what the evocative qualities of it. Right. Loved the soundtrack. Um, it was shot in Toronto, so there was sort of a, a little bit of hometown pride to it a little bit, even though they don't obviously say it's Toronto. Um, so I, I liked it, but I wouldn't say that I was absolutely blown away by it. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched it again, I don't know, probably a couple years ago, and I liked it more, and I would say I liked it even more this time. It It hit me a lot more this time. I think part of it, too, is that... Um, I really like the beguiled. Me too. Um, I did not see the. Beguiled. I loved it. Sophia's last movie. Yeah. Uh, and um, I, w- I would say that I'm not. I'm kind of spotty on her in terms. Like it's kind. Of, there are some of her films I love. Lost in Translation. Of course. I think there's some good stuff in Marie Antoinette, mm-hmm. but on the whole, it's you know not yeah. a great movie. I hated the bling ring. I detested somewhere. I actually really liked the bling ring. Oh, I did too. I saw it in the theaters. Yeah, and had I think fun. the bling ring's awesome. Maybe I should rewatch it. I didn't like. I it I don't at think. All. I mean, I think. All right. Also, I hate somewhere. I think it's one of the worst movies I've ever seen. It's terrible. Um, like truly, just an awful. movie. I've never seen it. It's really. It's as as miserable as a movie that you can really watch. But the bling <laughs> ring yeah. is really bad if you view it as a Sofia Coppola movie, but as just a movie. Interesting. It's a lot of fun. Huh. Does that make sense? I mean, sure. I, like, I remember enjoying Emma Watson in it. I, I think thought it's she a fun was movie. I think it's like a fun, cool, uh, yeah. kind of silly movie that doesn't endeavor to say anything yeah. um, grandiose. But let's talk about this movie. Can I just say one other quick thing <laughs> yes. on this just because I do think it does connect to a certain extent? Because you're talking about plot. Mm-hmm. When it's it was a plotty an- movie, too. When it was announced that Sofia Coppola was going to do an adaptation of this true story of these kids that started breaking into houses and stealing their shit, right. I was like, oh, fuck, this could be Sofia Coppola's Goodfellas. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. this could be her way of using sort of teenage, I don't know, angst and folding it into a crime story. And I was like, it's I'm really excited for that. And then I sat down, I was like, oh, she has no fucking interest in telling any part of this story, really. She just likes you know, what it, what sort of imagery and what kind of vibe it evokes, which again is her thing. And I get that, but then she makes the beguiled, which is actually relatively plotty. Like it actually does have a real spine of a story there and she nails it. So she can do it. So bling ring to me was just disappointing because she didn't even try. And interesting. The beguiled was a, um, was an adaptation, right? So perhaps yes. that was a piece of it maybe that's too, part in of terms it of having more of a firm sure. spine, right? And mm-hmm. maybe that's why I, I think, I mean, there's an argument to be made of whether this or Lost in Translation are her best, mm-hmm. which is her best film, and some yeah. people fall on either. I, I love them both. I'm not sure if I had to choose which one I would pick. But this does have a lot more, it has a book there that she is trying to be faithful to. Mm-hmm. And you sense that. You sense that she has some guardrails a little bit to not go completely you know, wherever she wants. But it really is just the vibe and the tone of this movie from the very first shot, that shot of Kristen, Kristen Dunst eating a popsicle in the middle of that suburban street with air with in the, the background. background. It's like, yeah. fuck. Like, it's just like, it's just, it's like a big feathery pillow. It's, it's just, well, I don't mean that in a bad way. It's a fantasy. Like it well, feels, it's so dreamlike yes. immediately. Yeah. Which is interesting given it's a dreamy, beautiful, almost aspirational, very funny movie about mm-hmm. teenage female suicide, right? Yeah. yeah. And, but not in like a Heather's kind of way. Like, no. no. This is the, or Jawbreaker. Well, it, what, so I guess, what is this movie? <laughs> Like, like, yeah. how, so everything you said be, is true, right? Because it's, I hardly even think of the suicides when I think of this movie, right? right. The suicides are almost incidental in this movie. Mm-hmm. That's not really why I think this movie's 
worthwhile. And by the way, I only think this movie's a, like worthwhile, right? I don't think it's a great. I, oh, I really? Think, I think it's a gr- like I think it's a great movie in that it makes me feel a way that most movies don't make me feel. It pulls something out of me that mm-hmm. I really enjoy, and I really like watching. I like living inside of this movie. Sure, but as listeners of the podcast know, I'm pre- I'm a pretty plotty kind of guy. You? Right? Kenny? I'm a pretty plotty kind of guy. I love story. And movies about story. <laughs> Listen, I love Sweet. story. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me a story. I give me hate the, it. Just give me the story. I love, I, I do, I, lo- I love a story. And, uh, uh-huh. and you know, I think, I think the, straight, the straight story kind of suffered from this too for me. <laughs> in that, yeah, there's, there's not much of a, mm. there's not much of an A to B to C here. And that's it's not a, think, it's not a problem because I don't think she failed. I think that's kind of what I'm trying to say. Like it's a it's a great movie. I don't think she failed. I just don't think it's going to be one of my favorite movies of this year. Oh, it's definitely that's so. Inter- I mean, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. So that's yeah. it's unfair to say that. There's a quote in the early days when Cecilia uh, is saved yes. from the first bathtub. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like the line of the movie. It is, and it's yeah. basically a doctor saying to her, "What are you doing here? You're not even old enough to know how bad life gets." And she just deadpan looks at him and goes, "Obviously, doctor, you've never been a 13 year old girl." Mm-hmm. And I think if I had to remember back to why I felt this movie was so important, is because of the importance it gave teenage girls to have these rich in their lives. Uh-huh. Like, look, we there's been the Holden Caulfields forever, right? And mm-hmm. I looked at Cecilia and I'm like, wait, is Cecilia yep. sort of Holden Caulfield? She's just calling out the bullshit. This kid with Down syndrome is forced to sing in front of her and she's like, you all are assholes. I can't Ugh, even that with you. Brutal. That's yeah, with Joe. That's, a, that's an extremely weird scene. It is. I kept, it sticks out like a sore thumb. Well, I kept waiting. I, I, I actually really respected the way that scene was done because mm-hmm. it was way more reminiscent of the way that would actually really play out yeah. mm-hmm. as opposed to, because most kids I know aren't just going to mock a kid yeah. with Down syndrome to their face. Sure. They're going to do it yeah. exactly the way they did it there and also put their arm around him and yeah. you know, try to hey, act Joe. like, yeah. there's, there, that was a really kind of incredible It was very scene. delicately, very adroitly handled, but also just sort of. It still made me very uncomfortable yeah. for obvious reasons. I mean, there's a to go back to your, that line. Um, there's a great uh, uh, quote from a from Roger Ebert's review. Sure, uh, he gave the film. Um, I believe he scores it a five. I believe he gave it four to five. I think it was stars. three and a half out of four. Okay, well, there you go. Uh, the last line of the review is: "In a way, the Lisbon girls and the neighborhood boys never existed, except in their own adolescent imaginations. They were imaginary creatures waiting for the dream to end through the death of adulthood." Cecilia was the first to go, the, narr- the narrator tells us right at the beginning. When uh, we see her talking to a psychiatrist after she tries to slash her wrists, you're not even old enough to know how hard life gets. He tells her, obviously, doctor, she says, you've never been a 13-year-old girl. No, but his profession and every adult life is to some degree a search for the happiness she does not even know she has. And I think that's really, I think they set that up at the top. Yeah. And then at the end, the, thought, the scene I thought was really powerful is when you have that weird asphyxiation-themed Deb ball, yeah. where it's like super weird. And all the adults just don't even know. Their way of addressing what has happened is to completely pretend it never yeah. happened, right? Yeah. And and or when one of them gets drunk, make a joke about it as you fall backward in the pool. Mm-hmm. And I think that's interesting because it's like right. these are people so far removed. That scene didn't happen in real life. You don't think that scene happened in real life? In Absolutely. what real, in in what context, real life? In the, in the context of that movie, that wasn't an, an imaginary an – imagine- Oh, no, no, no. no Th- that, that's that like happened. how – yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's my feeling was that was actually a real thing because this is, you know, like 
Well, she talks about it in the documentary on the Criterion disc. If you've tell not me, picked tell it up, me. What you does really she say? should. What does she say? Well, she, I mean, she, she talks more specifically about the, the way that, that they chose to shoot it, which is that it's, it's shot in this like toxic green, you know, lighting. Mm-hmm. So the whole thing feels like you're being poisoned for lack of a better way of mm-hmm. putting it. And that she wanted that scene. You wanted to feel that these boys had crossed a Rubicon, if you will, or some yep. sort of threshold and that they were now sort of part of the toxicity of you know, adulthood or whatever you want to call okay. it. I, I, so, I think, I, I think, I think both these things could be true. I don't think that meant that scene was meant to be taken literally. I think that scene was meant to be taken as a, th- their perception of the way life had changed after these girls had died. Oh no. I think those tone deaf adults in 1974 totally thought it would yeah. be funny to have like, because of how bad the town smelled to do this themed ball. Yeah, absolutely. And yet didn't even realize that like it, it was this weird on the nose playing out of like them putting a gas mask on to ignore the reality of what had happened with the Lisbon. She girls. also didn't like, make that up, and by that I mean like that's it's in, in the, the book. book. Mm-hmm. No, I believe that's in the book. You just think it's truly I think in the book. It was also yeah. a a representation of the way these mm-hmm. boys felt. Interesting. After okay. the death. I mean, I, I don't. First and foremost, I agree with you that that neither of our interpretations are mutually exclusive. Right, There's no reason why they why they can't both exist. Right. So I agree with you in that regard. I I saw it as really happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I I saw it as sort of a tweaked ice storm type scene. Um, you know what I mean? It felt very very you know it evoked that kind of vibe in me. That sort of heightened, trapped suburban kind of you know disconnected from reality kind of thing. Um, so, but I, I I see where you're coming from. I mean, whether or not it happens or not, I think that we're taking away the same things from it, it in terms really, of well, it in really terms of what it speaks to. Ulti- ultimately, mm-hmm. it is the fabrication of a writer. So ultimately, is meant to be a comment on something, whether or not it actually happened mm-hmm. within the context oh, of the sure. movie yeah, yeah. or didn't actually happen in the context of the movie, and that's what you take from it. The fact that I I felt like it was so totally different from the rest of the movie. It doesn't really matter mm-hmm. which one of us are right. It really, literally, makes no no difference whatsoever. But it does. It it does force that feeling on you that things have changed and we're never going back. That, absolutely, and, and ultimately, I think we're, we're yeah we're, we're we're in agreement on that. I mean, I think that the film really just sort of it's a real juggling act. You know, there's no, I mean, we'll we'll talk about the plot. Obviously, there's not a tremendous amount of it, as as Kenny spoke of earlier. But I do think that the the <laughs> Jesus Christ. I love story. He just loves story. He, Kenny just loves story. I'm a, hey, I'm a story slut. <laughs> slut for story. Yeah, I know. Um, I see a story. I just want to jump all over. Oh my god. Uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. This is, by the way, this is your fault, guys. <laughs> um, I'll take that. I, I think that what's interesting, Sophia Coppola talks a lot about. I've read a bunch of interviews with her, especially since with the release of the Criterion Blu-ray that you should go out and buy. Uh, she did a bunch of interviews just kind of looking back on it because it's almost been 20 years and she was talking about what sort of drew her to it. Um, she said, when I was growing up, movies for teens were always lowbrow and not well-crafted and it was hard to relate to them except for John Hughes movies, which I loved. Yeah. There wasn't much poetic filmmaking that spoke to me as a girl and a young woman who also treated us with respect. Mm-hmm. I felt the audience that audience deserved. I loved Jeffrey's book and I felt that he really captured the mystery of that age. So it was the book that motivated me to want to make that film but i didn't really see that aesthetic in other movies 
I was also into girly snapshot photography that I saw coming out of Japan. So it was all related and connected with that. I wanted to make something that I could relate to that connected with what my experience was. She also talks a lot about being surrounded by men. You know, she's got her brother, she's got her father, um, big Italian family. Right. um, And her feeling very isolated and sort of, so you can really feel that in this movie as well. Well, yeah. Yeah. And certainly themes of isolation. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, Yeah. Literally. Literally. It's, I mean, it's, it's, I don't know. I, I think it's a really, I think it's a great movie. Well, and that's, I think you just, I just do, to finish. I too. I really, I don't mean to say, I don't think it's yeah. a great movie. I didn't I mean to insinuate you did. I, I think in some sense, it's a staggeringly good movie. Yeah. Um, Especially as a first feature. Yeah. I think you know it's what I mean? Like that's the other staggeringly thing. good at getting yeah. across the ideas she wants to get across in ways outside of story, which is kind of amazing in its Absolutely. own right. A hundred percent. Yes. And also, sorry. I just wanted to finish the thought. You guys were basically like, when I, when I think about like, again, why I connected with it, it's everything you just said in terms of treating teenage girls with on the big screen, not on TV, on the big screen with that kind of respect and like depth of character. Uh, and yet also kind of leaving this big mystery that we, none of us will ever know the unknowable nature of teenage women and young women. Right. Yeah. Uh, it also that I think at the time I didn't understand that Sofia Coppola was like that Coppola, and okay. so I'm going to see a movie. I'm in the midst of kind of starting to think, am I going to like work in like playwriting, screenwriting, whatever? And then I'm like, wait, this is a woman who's not that much older than me, right? That's like so nine easy. years older than me. It she wrote and directed this, and it's based on a book. Well, I love books, like. Oh my god, we should we should write stuff. Like even I remember like turning nationally, I mean, like we could do this stuff. Like that it was yeah. such a motivator. It made it feel possible to like tell those kinds of stories while being a younger woman, right? Sure. I had no idea not only the talent gene pool she was born into, but also the connections that may or may not have made that possible. But sure. regardless to say talent gene pool. And nice that can only get you it. so far. I mean, like when that's Skipped your first Roman. when that's your Ooh. just kidding. I've never seen a Roman Coppola movie. Uh, I have. Yes. It's Skip Roman. Oh my god! No comment. I wish I had more. I wish I could burn or not to burn or not to burn. I can't. He's not about, I mean, he's a great screenwriter. He's worked with Wes Anderson on yeah. numerous sure. films. Yeah. No, but I do. That was why I picked this film at the end of the day. It was like the because there were very few and far between like awesome movies, first time features by like women in their twenties writing directing. Yeah. It was incredibly hard to yeah. kind of come across that, and do, I think it just yeah. hit me at the right moment. Doing this podcast. We see that we see how yeah. few how few movies oh from Especially this year 99, yeah. were were directed by people other than white cisgender men. Yes, mm-hmm. I will say though, you know, I, I it's funny because I, I I have very conflicted feelings about Sofia Coppola as a as a filmmaker. First mm-hmm. and foremost, I, I don't really know how to feel about nepotism. That then I also think, as we all sit at this table, that you know, you get places in this town by networking. And I'm not necessarily sure that that's all that much different than nepotism. So, you know, you got to do what you got to do in order to get, you know, get a shot in this town. So there's that, you know, then I also think that she's, she walks a fine line. She can be very pretentious. Her stuff can come across as incredibly sort of navel gazy and, and all of that when it's working like this film or, or loss in translation, <clears throat> or or the beguiled, the beguiled yeah. I think she does a tremendous. There's there's no one doing what she's doing, right? You know, there's no one that you watch the first minute of this movie and you're like, this is a Sofia Coppola movie. Like you know her visual stamp mm-hmm. and her vibe and her tone is just so her own that I just I you know whether or not I like somewhere or not, I, I watched it and it still felt like a Sofia Coppola film. She's just there's it's it's very impressive. It's, it was like a stripped down Sofia Coppola film. It, it, it yeah. really didn't. It, 
it didn't movie, need to be really, made. It was, that movie like, really doesn't work no. for me um, in any in any respect because the only it's a weird movie. Yeah, the only thing it, it evokes is like misery and narcissism and, and like how yeah. shitty this town is and yeah. like I, I I and listen. I'm sure she had her reasons for for writing it. I'm sure she had her reasons for making it. I, I, I imagine it speaks to something that was going on inside her at the time. Um, I just didn't particularly like it. But I, I, she's she's a phenomenal talent, and and I don't mean to shit on Roman Coppola. He's done stuff that's cool too. I just I think it's interesting that she has risen to the ranks that she has, and you know, and then you know, anyway, I think she's a, a fascinating person, and she's made fascinating movies and. Uh, I think she's very in touch with herself yeah. in terms of why she makes the thing. She talked a lot about how this film, she thinks it helped deal with the death of her brother when she was a teenager. I think there's just a, a, a self-awareness that you might not necessarily think exists on some, like somewhere is not a self-assured sort of mm-hmm. self-aware movie. And yet somehow she is. So she's you know, figured out a way to do it. Yeah. Um, so let's give a little context to the movie for those who have not seen The Virgin Suicides. Um, the synopsis is based on the film by Jeffrey based Eugenides, the novel. the novel, sorry. Uh, I think it's Eugenides, Eugenides, Eugenides. I thought it was Eugenides, but what do I know? I thought, was, I thought, I thought 2000 was 1999. It's true. What, do I what know? does anyone know? <laughs> Excuse me uh, while I self-flagellate about oh, that geez. for some more time. Uh, in an ordinary suburban house on a lovely tree-lined street in the middle of 1970s America lived the five beautiful dreamy Lisbon girls whose doomed fates indelibly marked the neighborhood boys who to this day continue to obsess over them. A story of love and repression, fantasy and terror, sex and death, memory and longing, it is at its core a mystery story, a heart-rendering investigation into the impenetrable, life-altering secrets of American adolescence. Um, yeah, I mean, sure. It's basically about, about a bunch of girls who killed themselves, unfortunately. Allison, we would not have done this movie if it wasn't a 1999 movie. I don't don't self flagellate. Yeah, this, uh, isn't, this movie came out. This movie was released into the world Can we in nineteen ninety nine. Talk about just for a moment it, while we're talking about that. Sure. Released yeah. into the world nineteen ninety nine yeah. two thousand. Mm-hmm. I did could not stop myself from thinking about the Netflix show Thirteen Reasons Why. Sure. Interesting. When I was watching this, because I was like, you know, Thirteen Reasons Why I had to put basically a trigger notice, warning. trigger yeah. warning at the beginning because yeah. the subject matter basically explores like, is there a reason why, right? Can you quantify yeah. like why yeah. this stuff happens? Well, there are 13 of them. But yeah, exactly. Or 26. Uh, 26 we'll see how many seasons go. Not Probably gonna, 26. I'm, I'm yes. not gonna, oh, I don't know. I actually watched <laughs> all 13 episodes and thought there was a lot to like about that show. And I'm, I haven't gotten to see it yet, which I feel like was such a misstep coming on here. I wasn't but a, it did, a huge fan. Can I tell you? Hmm. It did make me realize, like, I wonder if this day and age, this movie came out, right? What what would that public reaction be in terms of like it being this? It's a good question. This kind of dreamy, beautiful, aspirational look at suicide at the end. Well, it's interesting, right? I think that the, yes, it absolutely is. I would say that it is a lot more binary mm-hmm. in Thirteen Reasons Why. I think there's also a a you know revenge mind fuckery from the great beyond to Thirteen, 13 Reasons, Reasons Why, why which. Yep errs on the side of potentially saying like this might be an interesting way to get your point across. Sure, but like this, there's some stuff that's this feature also goes to a place of like, come on over, boys, find our dead bodies, right? Which yeah, is I this still, interest is kind yeah. of like a weird like. Talk well, we should about talk about that when people. we when we get yes, to the we'll end. But that. I do think that I agree with you, and I, I actually weirdly, and I don't know how you guys feel about this, but. I almost don't, like, I know they kill themselves. I'm not suggesting they don't kill themselves. But it is so dreamlike, and it is done in such a sort of intangible way right. that 
you have to almost wonder, did they kill themselves? Right. Am I being too literal? Am I being yeah. too literal? Did these kids, is this really just more about like the death of something else? Is this more about sort of these kids that never knew these girls and when they moved away you know, or whatever it is. They felt like did, they'd killed themselves. Something like right. that. You know, right, so I don't know. I mean, they, um, not to be too pseudo intellectual about well, it. But. Well, no, it's two things, right? So they definitely killed themselves. And it, and it is. <laughs> and, and, and the dead ball was a dream sequence. And it's also, well, I mean, the, the fact that you guys think that it's possible they didn't kill themselves, but the dead ball was definitely real. All right, so moving on, though. They definitely killed themselves, but that's not. But, but your point is the interesting point. Yeah. Is it really about the death of something else? Right. Right? Because, again, like, they definitely killed themselves. It was clearly, sure. It was sure, clearly, sure, sure. clearly what happened in the movie. But what. That's what I. That's what I can't really wrap my head around. Sure. Obviously, it was a metaphor, right? Yeah. What was it a metaphor for? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think that. I mean, not to be whatever, but there is a part of me that feels like it's probably about the death of innocence. It's probably about the death of adolescence. It's about we sort of crossing. Maybe, but I mean, and even if it is that, I don't think that that's necessarily a bad reason to write it, or or a bad reason, you know, theme or what have you. I mean, I think that it's. I guess because the film is so ethereal, that's why I feel like there's a little bit of wiggle room in terms of the motivations of what some of these characters do. Yes, I get that it's a grounded movie and that these things most likely happened, but I think that it also speaks to just sort of this, to your original question a couple minutes ago about like if this film was released today, right. I think that the film in would be- In the world of Twitter and think pieces. Right. Yeah. I think that there would probably be some people that would take issue with it, I'm sure. But I don't think that it has the same sort of very kind of clean cut, you know, binary notions that something like 13 Reasons Why has, which I think, that's not to say that it wouldn't need a trigger warning or that there wouldn't be people that might watch it and, and you know, think horrible things. But it doesn't feel as sort of- Aggressively, I don't know. No, no, I, you know what well, I mean? point taken. Yeah, yeah. I think and it, I haven't seen it. I think it would be reasons. fine. Mm-hmm. I think there are movies that come out, films that come sure, out every year sure. that are more disturbing than this. Sure. I don't think this is a particularly disturbing movie. It just kind of sounds disturbing. Right. You know, you can see people getting like all salty about it before just they've from even the seen title. it. Yeah. I mean, Celia's Cecilia's death is a little is a little upsetting, I would say. Of all of the of it's, all the suicides, that's the one that's It is. It is. But ultimately, like I said in the beginning, yeah. I really believe that the suicides are kind of incidental. Like it really isn't Yeah. That's the part that I I, I honestly like I don't get and I won't get. And it's not what is important to this to me about this movie. Great. Yeah, I I don't I mean here's what I'll say, and I think this is not to hammer your point Do too it. much, but hammer it's not a movie about suicide, is basically what I It's oh, not a it's movie not about a movie suicide. About suicide. That's kind of like the Which whereas is, Thirteen Reasons yeah. Why is a movie or yeah. a TV show about suicide. Because truthfully, I mean, yes, you know going into Thirteen Reasons Why that that in theory, if you know what the premise of the film is about whatever this film has suicide in the title, you know, and it's in the first couple of minutes that we find this out. Mm-hmm. But it, it, to that point, if it was about that thing, I don't necessarily think that they would be sort of turning that card so mm-hmm. quickly. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, and, and the suicides themselves to your point as well are shot in such a way. They feel very sort of, um, they're, they're almost like still lives. Like, I don't know. There's something very sort of, yeah, art museum specific. Yes, yeah, very, very. Yeah. Um, so anyway, which the, is the Sofia Coppola thing? Yeah, particularly, I think this is her most beautiful movie. Granted, I haven't seen The Beguiled, um, but I've seen everything else she's done. And 
And yeah, I think that I look. I, think, I agree with you that it's, it's it's her most beautiful. I do. I think yeah. that um, I'd like to see more movies like this. It's kind of easy to make Marie Antoinette look spectacular, yeah. but it's not that easy to make suburban Detroit look it was, gorgeous. I, I thought so, Lost in Translation was a was a very beautiful film as well. Me too. I'm, I'm crazy about that movie. That's clearly but my it's, favorite movie by her. But, but it's also to your point that the um the dichotomy of sort of what Bill Murray's going through in that film and what scars your hand, the, the, their sort of their depression, their isolations or what have you make a lot of the stuff that they're a part of very drab intentionally. So, mm-hmm. so when there there's these pops of, of phenomenal color and beauty mixed in with a lot of sort of like sadness, whereas this film has this sort of beautiful warmth, the whole thing feels like a summer's day. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot Prettier, I guess, but of, mm-hmm. of the two films. But uh, so, just real quick, Virgin Suicides opens on May nineteenth, nineteen ninety nine, at the Cannes Film Festival, and Hear then op- nineteen ninety nine, and then uh, opened almost a year later in the U.S. on April twenty first, two thousand. It made ten point four million dollars on a nine million dollar budget. Sofia Coppola has been very outspoken about how she feels feels like the film was kind of buried that uh, Paramount didn't really know what to do with the film. And- but a young Alison Akel found it at the Red Bank Arts Theater. <laughs> She Most importantly, would be damned if she wasn't going to. <laughs> but I mean, and listen, I saw it too, and I do think that it made some noise at the time for sure. Yeah. Me too. I just think that a year's a long time. Yeah. They bought. You know what I mean? It was. It was an acquisition out of Cannes. Like I think they might have missed the window a little bit with it. It was an acquisition by Paramount Classics. It was the precursor to where I worked, Paramount Vantage. Indeed. And we had an awesome Virgin Suicides poster in my office. It's. It's. An amazing movie. It is. Uh, and I think that to your point that you made a couple minutes ago as well, if this film existed today and debuted at Cannes, I think it's picked up by A24 or Annapurna or something like that, and it, it gets a real shot to find its audience. Yeah. Um, this Releasing this film on April 21st is a biz, kind of a bizarre time to release this. It should have been probably something in the fall where it had like a shot of maybe getting some Oscar nominations or something like that. So I think my point is, I think Sophia has reason to be a little bit bummed that the movie at the time didn't probably get the love that it deserved. I wonder if 74% it would have been, on Rotten Tomatoes. I wonder if it would have been eligible for 2000 or 99. 74% on Rotten Tomatoes? Yeah. It's a little lower than I thought Take it would your be. Your head's out of your 2000, asses. 2000, 2000 was a bad year for movies. Yeah. And I think it could have made right, that's some what, noise that's in 2000. Yeah. Um, in I 99, agree. also, you know, obviously some bad movies were nominated for Best Picture, but this wasn't the kind of movie that was making noise in 99. But she could have got a screenplay nomination, I think, into... Maybe. into in, or, you know, other nominations, maybe. I mean, look, I want to talk just a little bit more about her, just, okay. just for yeah, a yeah. second. Because uh, what's so interesting to me about her... Her, and not about actually Sofia Coppola. Actually, it's kind of like her career and where she came from, what she did. So she's obviously Francis Ford Coppola's daughter. She puts out this film, which she was able to do because her dad had a company. And she had her name. American Zoetrope. And she, the movie wasn't unsuccessful. The movie, 74% of Rotten Tomatoes. That's good. $10.4 sure. $10. million made back its budget. That's sure. good. She definitely gets another bite of the apple with that. But a lot of that also was the fascination of, let's see what Francis Ford Coppola's daughter is up to. And also, it's a very it's a, it's a very provocative title. I think there are a lot of people who probably just saw it because it's provocative. It is a provocative title. Then she goes and makes Lost in Translation, uh, a movie that uses Bill Murray in a way that he's never been used. Yeah. Cast like a 19-year-old Scarlett Johansson who'd only really been in Ghost World. Yep. And makes $120 million fucking dollars. And wins the Academy Award. And wins Best Screenplay. Screenplay. And is also one of my favorite movies. It's so interesting to me 
what happens when you give people a shot. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. 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 I didn't know where you're going with this, and then I really liked it. Yeah, it's, oh yeah, it's just, give it's them a true. shot. It's, but it's interesting to me, you know, where what and, and all and like the, it also is kind of interesting that so she she took Lost in Translation, yeah, and then went on to make about four small. Well, eight. the next one was her blank check movie. If we're being honest, the next one was Marie Antoinette. That was her going all, which in. is a big movie, which is a big movie, and mm-hmm. didn't do that well. But the other ones were kind of small movies that seemed like they were all because well, I think for that her because I think Mary Antoinette was sort of um, though I do think people would give her a budget. You know, they were going to they going to give her Little Mermaid. They were. And I don't know what that movie what? is. But, she wanted to yeah. do. Yeah, they were going to give her live action. Oh, Mermaid like where, nowadays, yeah, where yeah, Little yeah. Mermaid dies. Like yeah. sure, where I, it like hurts to walk on her feet and stuff. The yes, real shit, yeah. exactly. Yeah. The Hans okay. Christian Andersen, like the yeah, real shit, the real, the Chris Nolan Little Mermaid. Someone, someone will Birds have to make pecking that. at eyes like that kind of well, stuff. Well, it's so we, it's so interesting. They are going to make uh, they are going to make the Disney Little Mermaid live action. They are, and I don't know how they're going to do that underwater, but they will. <laughs> I like that Kenny's put a lot of. I thought like. Into I this. immediately went. Who is Sebastian? Like, I don't, we all have our questions about this, right? I just went on the Little Mermaid ride at Disneyland. How'd and, that go? Uh, well, I've done it before. Um, <laughs> but it's, humble uh, brag. <laughs> I do it every time that might there. be my favorite movie in 1989. It's a great movie. That movie's amazing. Wait till we podcast like 1989. You can come on for a little mermaid. Straight up, that's where we're going. I think. I, I think, think it's we are. I don't think it's going to be honestly. Like I don't think it's going to be as sexy as 99. Like I think there's something very sexy about 99. But like the movies are just like bam, it's crazy. Bam, it's crazy. Bam, but I don't think people. It's really also know a, about it's it. a big. Um, it is in its own way a really big turning point for Hollywood. I mean, that's when you've got your Batman's, your Last Crusades. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of big budget. Anyway, we can talk about podcasts right, like it's 89. I, I, I don't know. You guys, I don't know if you have any other thoughts no, about I mean, her. I, but. I think she's, listen, I, I, I think she's a, a very, very interesting filmmaker. I fully agree with you. I think that she herself said that The Virgin Suicides in a lot of ways, when it didn't really get much of a release, she came out of it thinking to herself, well, I just got a very expensive reel. You know what I mean? Like now right I on, get another yeah. shot mm-hmm. and it obviously, right. and she was right. She got a lot of love. It got her noticed and that was what was important. Then she makes Lost in Translation, which obviously puts her on the map in a huge, huge way. Um, yeah, and the hottest, hottest filmmaker in the country, probably. Though. Probably. Yeah. Um, so I, I agree. I, I'd like to talk a little bit about um, the performances a little, just from a, from, a, from a high altitude. Um, I think Kirsten Dunst is great in this movie. I think, she's, I think she does a tremendous job. I think, you know, on the, on the Blu-ray, there's a documentary that Sofia Coppola's mother shot back in 99 when they or 98, I guess, when they shot the film. And and Kristen is interviewed in it. And she's very sort of, she's at a very interesting, she's at kind of a, a fulcrum point where you can tell that she's aware kind of of what she wants to do as an actress, mm-hmm. but is is not mature enough to necessarily articulate that. And this is like when she's also making Dick. and Literally, like, that same summer. Which yeah. she, I mean, Dick, I think, also shot in Toronto. So mm-hmm. she shot these movies almost back to back. Oh, interesting. And then I don't know where Drop Dead Gorgeous was shot, but my guess is that what it was What a year. Let's get I it know. on the pod. Yeah. Seriously. She's amazing. She was 16 at the time. It's crazy. Those three films show phenomenal range. And, and unfortunately, I don't really feel like she did a ton that actually really wrap because I think Spider-Man just fucking became like whatever. Oh, sure. And then it just kind of, you know, she's amazing on Fargo. But she also did um, bring it on. Like I think and she's great year, in bringing it. Yes, it is the next year, which is like such a, you a great star career. making performance. She's already a star. But she's a star. It's a star it. solidifying yeah. performance. Yeah. But weirdly, Nobody at the time. We talk about bringing on a lot for whatever reason. Don't at well, the time. Because actually, Lyle felt, brought it up a lot. I bet she did. But it's such. <laughs> a, 
it's like like when you talk about <laughs> Sofia Coppola's original point about mm. teen movies that yes. there were John Hughes movies, yeah. And nothing else. Yeah. Bring It Out is another movie that tre- that treats teens like people, right? Um, but at the time, people didn't really feel the way about that movie that they do now. In fact, yeah. I don't think it really was such a great role for her. Well, but I also think it's just just to highlight it. I think Sophia is also saying that when she grew up, she didn't think there were a lot of. And I think to your point, Kenny, that the '90s were actually a great petri dish for great teen movies yeah especially clueless in 96 clueless is incredible 93 wait no 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 uh it definitely came out in theaters i would say 95 probably maybe it's 95 95 95, yeah but you know what i mean like it's just the, the the breadth of just in 99 alone but we could talk about just the 90s in general it's pretty staggering how great the teen stuff that was coming out at that point right and i do think that this film is a prime example of that um so and i think i think kirsten dunst in bring it on obviously is another example of that as well but kirsten Dunst has a very interesting career uh we hope to have her on the on the podcast please um anyone ever <laughs> yeah, can tweet us, yeah, tweet us. Um, she went to my rival day school oh okay. in new jersey so let me make some calls Nagle, we'll make it happen basically got yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. uh i also think that josh artnett is great in this movie oh amazing Arguably his best performance. She had a rough yeah. little time from I know two thousand and one through two thousand and twelve almost. Fuck yeah! It, she was working until Melancholia. She's amazing in Melancholia. I've until Melancholia, she had about a nine year run. Speaking about movies about suicide, yeah. I mean, she had about a nine year run where she just couldn't do anything right. Melancholia put her back on the map a little bit. People decided she, people yeah. re- rediscovered what yes. a great actress she I, actually is. But. And Fargo, she's fucking awesome. Fargo. Did this movie make you sad that James Woods is such a fucking I lunatic l- now? I yeah. literally thought the exact same thing. And, and I, after, I, I, I honestly have to say that it took He's the movie so down good. a couple grades but he is, because of I him. was ready to hate him and Don't be like, James Woods in the role he was born to play this dickwad conservative dad. And then I was like, Ugh. he brings some shades to it. Like, I'm not going to hate I on that performance. dickwad. He I, he was a clueless kind of like a, I just fucking hate James Woods. Right, it's very hard for me to see him to through. disassociate. Yeah, yeah I, I, it's very hard. Yeah, you but, should, I, but you should. I try. You should just do it. Just decide to. <laughs> yeah, you have a, you have a podcast watching, about movies. You got to be a little objective. My whole life, what an asshole! I hate the fucking. Yeah, yeah, we talked movies. about him on. We talked about Varsity Blues. Yeah, but we we we, we all kind came of loved it. Yeah, we, we all loved it. Josh Hart, it's great in this movie. I think because he apparently was channeling Jim Morrison in his performance, which I think sure mm-hmm. um if you say so and Josh. you know what's funny and maybe this is just me i He's didn't so know it was a wig what until until they said it in the in the and <laughs> until they said it in the behind the scenes documentary and then now i can't unsee it that's now the I'm just wiggiest like, wig i've ever seen that's what he said i mean that's is a it? wig I know it's a wig now, but for whatever reason, I don't know it was a wig. It doesn't Thank move you, like Kenny. natural I'm hair. With you, Phil. Thank you. Uh, oh my god! Also, that you know when I also kind of knew it was a wig. It's this amazing character choice that he makes when he's crowned Homecoming King. That awesome. he won't let he won't let the crown yeah. be yeah. put on the. <laughs> I that, love that detail. That was I can't I, tell, but now I'm like, so was that born clever. out of a hair and makeup mandate? Yeah. Where they're like, no, 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 but don't Trip wouldn't let the crown. I don't think Trip would wear the crown. I thought it was one of the most, and this movie is riddled with like fantastic details and such great details. He definitely didn't wear the crown because he didn't want it to fuck with his hair not yes. because he's too cool and it yeah they apparently and by they i mean uh, sophia, it's a sophia and josh only got into one disagreement while making the movie in terms of the notes or directions what she was gave it them, what was it which i think is really interesting uh after trip goes and asks james woods for permission to take the girls to the dance sure uh and gets it 
he walks out of the classroom and he goes like, yeah. And he yeah. like does this the like fist, this fist thing. Yep. And Josh Hartnett didn't want to do it. He's like, Trip would never do that. I, oh. I I feel him. I know. I don't agree. I don't. I, I think that sorry, was so I, real. No, I don't. You don't. We don't have to agree on everything, Phil. I just don't. <laughs> well, really, that's I don't, yeah. That wouldn't be because much that fun. was like fat kid trip inside of him. That's oh, she's that's she. That's and that was Sophia's point. I agree. She's like you have totally to see that. that he's a a real person. Otherwise, he's just a he's just like a. It's fucking, also the detail of him and his tool. his gay dads, right? Like that yes. detail well, also that, kind that, of continues to humanize absolutely. him. Yeah, it's just it's a moment where you're like, he's just a fucking kid. Yep. Like yeah. you just you have, and, and I think it, it takes him, it brings him down to grant to to well, be grounds him. These are good points. Um, I, I, and then you you also can add in the parts where he's older, played by a different guy, and clearly, oh, yeah. and it, it clearly hasn't worked out so well for yeah. him. That humanizes him too. Yeah, where, I agree. It's interesting they had him play by a different guy. Yeah. Hardnack could have played that role. They could have aged him up. <laughs> Probably. Um, there's a so apparently Alicia Silverstone was offered the role of Mary and turned it down, which I think oh. is interesting. Um, decided, I guess, to make Blast from the Past instead. Oh my god. Did we say that should have been? What's the one when she's in like Benicio del Toro's trunk? Excess baggage, which Thank we talked you. a lot about oh, on Blast from the Past. That should have been um Drew Barrymore. Drew Barrymore should have been Alicia Silverstone Blast yeah, from the Past. Yeah, I fully agree with you. We, we, we did a Blast from the Past movie. episode with Aaron LaRosa. Brendan Fraser, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So oh, yeah. Big, big, big fan, of, uh, big fan of Brendan she, Fraser. I Drew Barrymore it. could have nailed that. She would have been great. Also, Christina Applegate would have been very good in that role. I like, that, I like that now, because at the time, we couldn't come up with anybody, any of them. Now and I'm now I'm like, the, both of those could work. Both and them. I, it's so funny, because you know who I loved out of the sisters who don't get as much screen time was Therese. And I realized yes. that she was played by this woman, Leslie Heyman, who uh, had been a lifelong friend of Sofia Coppola and was like a model for her clothing line. And mm-hmm. her sure. sister like wrote a short film called Like, like the Star with Sofia. I just thought that conversation she has during the basement party is like what some of the that basement party some of the realest acting I've seen from teen actors ever across the board. I'm also really surprised, excuse me, that uh, Sofia Coppola doesn't do more music videos because she's her, and we will have to dive into the soundtrack. Oh my god, uh, it's amazing in a second. But her ability to match image with music in a in a un. I mean, in a very surprising way, in a way that you just don't see coming. It, it's obviously, this film's the beginning of that, but she only goes farther and farther with it. I mean, Mary Antoinette being the most extreme example of that. But Mary Antoinette's teaser trailer is hands down one of the best trailers yeah. I've is ever seen. Is that I Want Candy, right? No, that was, was uh, that was um, New Order. Um, God damn it, what's the name of the song? Uh, it's a New Order song. And it's the horses running. That's Ceremony, right? Is it? It might be. Yeah. I don't know. I apologize to, to all the people out there that might should probably look it up. Um, Age of consent. That's it. Thank you. That's, that's exactly what it is. Order song. It's perfect. And it's, and it's, it's just, it's easily one of the best trailers ever. So she's just got this marriage of these two mediums nailed down. And I'm just surprised she doesn't do more music videos, which would just be sort of an obvious thing for her to do. But anyway, um, you want to do some plot? Yes, let's sure. Uh, yeah, so the movie opens with Giovanni Ribisi narrating over images of the dead Lisbon girls as they're being wheeled out of the uh, out of their house. Uh, What's the connection there, Giovanni Ribisi? Is there a connection there? I think they're just friends. Seems like they. Sh- there seems like there's something. Am I wrong? Is he married to someone? Is there? There's there his really- sister's married to Beck. Yes, that's all mm. I got for you. His mm. sister's that's a married, thing. and also. Uh, he plays the Spike Jones esque character yep. in, in Lost in Translation. Translation. That's what is. Kenny's thinking of. Yes, yes, yes that's perfect. Nice work. 
<laughs> so, um, yeah. That's so good. Excellent uh, work there. <laughs> so the movie, I don't really, it doesn't pull its punches. I, and, and by that, I mean that it really just sort of, it goes for broke. It really just says like being a teenage girl is fucking hard and it sucks. And, you know, I, I'm not sure that up until this point, I had seen a film so perfectly capture that sentiment. And as someone who obviously was not, has not been a girl. uh, (laughs) never been a 13 year old No, I've never been. It's true. Uh, It was a very sort of like, a bit of a wake up call movie for me, a little bit. I don't know if you felt the same, Kenny, when you saw it. Did you see it in 99? I saw later than 99, but not much later. Um, Probably 2000. (laughs) I saw it. I saw it between you know, yeah. one and sure. twelve months after 1999. Yeah, which but, uh, nameless, faceless uh, summer between colleges did you right. see? It I saw some sad summer. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think, but but I think when I saw it, it, it was uh, I, I I just remember thinking that um, this felt I, really what I feel now that this felt good, this felt right, this felt a little a little more tongue in cheek than I would have expected. Sure. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess I guess it was maybe the first time that it ever really occurred to me that being a thirteen-year-old girl is so you bad. You guys are might- the worst. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, we, we, we well, were, it what? took a movie to make me understand that <laughs> this it. human experience was I, what, quite the thing. All right, why? All right, Allison. No, no more insight into our nineteen-year-old psychologies. You win. Why this whole you being win. a gal thing God, sure seems like a, for, a sideways situation. I don't even understand what she's doing right now. <laughs> yeah, that's a good. It's, what are you like a thirties flapper girl? First of all, yes. Stop! Stop! Like working, you know. Stop reporting on this, okay? <laughs> Second, we're not in the newsroom right now. Uh, that's one. Two. We're, this isn't is 2018. Yeah. Thirty evolved, Kenny and Phil. Yeah. yeah, we're you, fucking. I mean, I'm 19 years old when I saw this movie. We're and kids, I, and we're also bros. Well, it's a break that we. Figured. Kenny was more of a bro than I, I was. was. I was quite, quite the bro. I'm looking at <laughs> Phil quite saying, the bro. We're we're the bro. Bro. Yeah, we don't have. We don't grow bros in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> Because he didn't have bro grow. Bro gets it done. You got to plant those bros well, early that in might the be One of the great bros of all time. Uh, but uh, no, but it's, that's the point. Like, of course, right. it's going to take a movie for me and Phil to figure this no, stuff of course. out. Yes, of it's, course. Yes. A and B. Yeah, I think that's kind of the power of movies. Um, I mean, if we're being <laughs> not to put too fine a point on it, I think that's kind of empathy. What, that's yeah. kind yeah. of what movies are yeah. here for. But uh, yeah. So uh, the, the punch of the credits is fucking amazing in this movie with the hand-drawn uh, Virgin Suicides yeah, written it's like it's in I a notebook that. in the sky with air blasting and then an overlay dissolve of Lux winking at the camera. Mm-hmm. Like it's just, it's, it's perfect. Uh, and it really, I mean. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I love credits. We don't see enough credit sequences nowadays. It feels like they don't want to waste the real estate in a lot of ways, but yeah. it's a TV thing. It's a TV thing too. Uh, and a great credit sequence just like puts you in the movie and this does that perfectly. Uh, I also love that by telling us that the Lisbon girls all commit suicide, the movie removes any suspense about that. So it's doubling down on this notion. So does the title. Well, that too. But I agree with you. I, 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 I mean, just in terms of like actu- actually physically showing us as yeah. opposed to you could call a movie yeah. The Virgin Suicides and not have any suicide in yeah, it. Yeah, he said it right in the beginning and I, I think that that does help because it would yeah. be a terrible fucking reveal. So... It only works this way. Yeah. So Cecilia tries to kill herself at the beginning. She has a scene with Danny DeVito, who plays a therapist. Um, and uh, and then kind of not a ton happens until one of the boys from the neighborhood gets to go over there for dinner. And I'm not really sure why. I think it's that they somebody gave them the advice that the girls were too isolated and that it might like okay. demystify it if they was, had interaction with other And he was other, in some sort of a club. I thought it was also because he was like a great student or something. He was, but it's it was like, like they were assigned by Danny DeVito to introduce That's true. a right, young right, man. That's true. Right, 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 right. And so the dad picks well, the guy That's they had the party. But I, th- yes, okay. But so it's yeah, the, the gateway yeah. drug is the kid yeah, with so the I retainer. Think the dad, I think James Wood did pick a good student. A kid that he felt he could trust. Yeah, deserved it. It's the... The moment where Lux under the table starts playing footsie with him and Kicks says, "Do you like Doctor Scholes? Do you like to wrestle?" It's <laughs> just like wrestle. she is just where did teenage hormones from? personified. Jesus, girl, <laughs> fuck. I mean, Joey. she. I just want to say she is fucking awesome in Interview with the Vampire. Mm-hmm. I mean, she is one of the best performances. I, I actually really love that movie, but I she, agree. the wisdom and the years that she conveys yeah. She's somehow like four thousand years old. Yeah, it's you, like four hundred. It's like four hundred. Yeah. But she, uh, yeah, it's a Christ know. vampire. They talked about her um, getting nominated for that. That was a real thing. She was fantastic in that movie, and she she's nominated she's for an Oscar, Golden Globe, right? No, he said know. she no, should have been. There was yeah, talk. I, of her I said there was talk about her getting nominated oh, yeah. for that movie. She wasn't. Was she nominated for a Golden I Globe? Think, I don't, I don't know. So. I don't think so. But um, Lux then confronts Peter in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. And he just like doesn't know how to process being in like a room with this girl who's just like we've all been ready there. to sexually devour him. It but feels she's like. not. She seemed ready to sexually devour him at the dining room table, and then once he gets up into the bathroom, she fucks with him, and she's like, oh, uh, "Are you going to leave me alone? Like, are you going to get out of here?" She's messing with him, okay. right? Like, Fair enough. I don't think she's going to jump on him in that scene. I, she, I, I guess what, in comparison to him, sure, she's like this a vibrating yeah. sexual being. <laughs> yeah. Well, she's a different. She's a different breed of girl. Yes. Than the other four, absolutely. Which she proves even more as we get deeper. That's into the film. an interesting element to this movie, in that you know you basically have these five, you know, teen dreams, and that's pretty much what they're what they're getting at, right? <laughs> teen, yeah, dreams. Five teen, dreams. teen dreams, teen dreams, yeah. The teen dream suicides, and that was the original title. Well, you know, I mean, they're not all virgins, so it's a better title. Yep. Um, you have these, you have these five <laughs> false advertising. You have these five teen dreams, yeah. and four of them are <laughs> their parents' daughters. Right, yes. four of them are essentially, and prudes not really the right word, but that's what they are. They're like prudes, and then there's Lux, who 
drives this crazy train off. Well, just her name alone. Like the yeah. rest is like Mary Cecilia, and it's like Lux. <laughs> She's this, I know. Like, it's like they were they were planning on her being being crazy, the leader of a suicide pact <laughs> cult. Um, but and also it, fucking boys on the roof, and also yeah. like being like kind of kind of composed enough or self composed enough to be fucking with boys yeah, at yeah. the table. She's 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 a real wild card. Is kind of what I'm getting yeah. at, and it does give this movie and this whole family a sense of danger, a sense of un, of unpredictability yep. that uh, that's necessary necessary for this movie. I think that's I, it's I, also, I think that's the secret sauce of this movie. Frankly, I fully her, agree her with you. I think she. First of all, I love how she scares all the boys, which is why she falls for Trip because Trip does a better job of hiding it. Like Trip has confidence, yeah, and he's not. You know, she can't shake him like she shakes these other guys. He's also a teen dream. He's sure. another teen dream. Yeah, teen dream. Love. This movie's littered with him. Well, she apparently, and by she, I mean lousy with him. Yeah, Kirsten Dunst had a had a big crush on Josh Hartnett while they were making the That's film, and, and it's adore. She. There's a documentary, a recent documentary on this disc as well. And Kristen Dunst talks about how she's like, I can't even think about the makeout scene in the car without just blushing now. Like it just, it's, That's yeah, adorable. I think it's adorable. Uh, what's also adorable is when Peter forgets his retainer. On his plate. <laughs> on the plate. <laughs> on the plate. Details. Which is like, those details are what make the whole thing come to life. It's fantastic. I agree. Uh, I also, and again, this speaks to Sofia Coppola's ability to, within an image, speak volumes and one of the best images in the movie is um them trying to cover up cecilia's bandages with, with the bracelets, with the bracelets. And tape, yeah like it's just i mean that's the movie in a nutshell you know it's great um a very young jonathan tucker is great in this movie mm-hmm. uh we're, we're, it's, it's again it's sort of then they have the party mm-hmm. which we've touched which on. we've touched on a little bit um, I totally forgot the party is the inciting. It's like Cecilia, not the inciting incident, but, but it's the yeah, thing that it's what pushes gets her over Cecilia. the edge. No pun intended. Yes, um, that's the night she does it. Yes, yeah, she does it at the party, and then there's that horrifying but great sort of still image of that shot outside the house with Kathleen Turner holding her kids back, James Woods supporting, Wood supporting her, her she, on the, on the spike. spike. It, it actually sort of looks like a Gregory Crudson photo. I don't know if you guys know Gregory Crudson. Mm. Uh, he's a Fantastic photographer. What, I did, so, that was not meant to make. No, you, I don't know. I, at all. I thought, um, you might actually. Again, this is a very random reference, but do you remember the third season poster for Six Feet Under, where they're all in the kitchen? Yes. Say no and more. I'm fucking explaining <laughs> it to you. Listen, Allison. Whoa, Jesus. Whoa. <laughs> Easy. It was a hilarious joke. Wait, it was, it was a hilarious joke. How I many, apologize. How many teen dreams were in that poster? That's how I teen measure dreams? everything. How many teen dreams were in that six feet under? You might poster? remember the family is in the kitchen <laughs> and they're all around the kitchen table and there's all these flowers growing from the ground. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, and maybe you do. I don't know if no, you're I do, actually. Yes. That's him. Me or not. No, no, um, no. <laughs> who could tell. tell? Hard to tell. Who could tell? Uh, anyway, Gregory Cruz yes is a great no, photographer and a lot of his stuff takes place in suburbia and it has sort of this very gothically I'll show you some pictures when we're off mic doesn't matter we'll put them anyway. on the website <laughs> um, we talked about the mentally challenged boy at the party yeah. uh, Cecilia jumps off the roof um, I don't and I'm curious as to your thoughts on this how you feel about the parents and whether or not they feel like sort of like they don't feel like monsters no. to me but they also like they don't seem totally unreasonable, and yet obviously things get heightened and they get kind of crazy. But in the beginning, they don't seem that bad to me. I don't know if you guys agree. They never seem that bad to me. No, 
they're they're fear based people, but they're not bad people. It's an interesting thing, and I, I actually think it's one of the weak parts of this movie. It does seem like at some point, either Eugenides, Eugenides, or <laughs> Sofia Coppola, whoever did this, lost their nerve and made them do something really far beyond what you'd expect a normal parent to do, which is pull them out of school and basically keep them on home arrest because one child missed curfew. Um, And seems like they were trying to give the girls a quote-unquote reason to do it. When I would argue, Mm. what Allison pointed out right away is we don't need to know the reason. Right. Right. That's what I made my peace with. So it seems like... I see what you're saying. It seems like... It's giving them enough of a a motive. motive. Yeah. And the whole movie... Fair enough. They are are a bit Puritan. She does, you know, make their, their... Prom, their homecoming dresses and uses extra fabric, and they. Say I it's love like those bags. dresses. Give me those little four I sacks. Those sacks. I'll the take sacks. them. Identical. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I know that it was like it was like he's like they're like four I sacks. Was like, oh were, boy, how oh of course they're gorgeous. Yeah, they look this so is good. Sophia Coppola right. movie. <laughs> they look. They, they look. These gorgeous. girls are in like a Breck yeah. ad from nineteen seventy five. So they don't. They don't really do anything that is outside the outside of the parameters of normal parenting until the end. Burn their records and, and lock them up. Yeah, it's so weird. Can I also ask I you? I love that they burned the Kiss record. Oh that my was God. good. Detroit oh Rock City. That was a great move. Yeah. How could you, how could no, you ever the, be against Kathleen The fact Turner that we're going from Detroit Rock City to this movie really. I know, really... it's interesting. But the other thing Ooh. I'll say about that is when then she goes to burn the, I think TJ pointed this out, it's like the Kiss records first and it's like, not Aerosmith. And yeah. TJ's like, that's what breaks your bank is like the Aerosmith <laughs> album. Yeah. Yeah. Compared to Kiss, Aerosmith is like Beethoven. So I know, I that's know. But like Kiss is such a, like a teenage girl in love with it kind of band. But the but the thing about the, the other thing that's weird is like, you're like, oh, they pull all these kids out? Of the school, I also thought to myself, like, I can't decide if it's genius and the really subtle, unexpected character move, or it doesn't make any sense that, like, none of their her sisters are mad at her. Like, when Lux right. is late, yeah. they know they're cooked. They're but never they upset with her, right? It's weird. Or it's, it's genius because they're sisters and there's this unspoken thing. Or, again, this is part of the whole, like, as told by the neighborhood boys. Well, like, I well say, there's that. I want to say one more thing about sisters. My wife... <laughs> Sorry, guys. He my, wants to say one more thing about sisters. My, uh, Hold excuse, on, everyone. Excuse me. This is uh, this is my podcast, Allison. He finally <laughs> understands we're, sisters. We're not, we're not yeah, currently This movie on. taught him this what it was like to be sisters. This made him understand sisters. Fortnite and the Internet. <laughs> <laughs> this is podcast like it's 1999. By the way, I'm sure you can have Fortnite and the Internet somewhere on the Internet. Uh-huh. <clears throat> um, iTunes. 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 iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud. Stitcher, yeah. Um, Google Play. Um, my wife is one of four sisters. Okay. She also has a brother. And uh, the not being mad at your sister's thing mm-hmm. rings very true to me. They do get a little mad at each other here and there, but right. they would fucking kill for each other. That makes sense. They would never take anybody in the outside world over the over their the, each other. What my wife said, because we live in LA, obviously. They all live in Chicago. Everyone lives in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And she said- Every time she sees one of her sisters, it's like Christmas, which I thought was really interesting and, 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 and a very unique situation. So 
I believe this relationship. I believe sure. all for one, one for all. I believe don't get mad and at I, her. And I think when you know that the punishment is we will now be isolated in a bedroom for a long time together, if there were anger towards Lux, you get over it pretty quickly because you're like, well, we got we to gotta get through this together. Laura right? would love being isolated in a room with just sisters. <laughs> so... I, so and I he'll take the, the kids. And, and, you, and the other thing is, like, yeah. the girls, my sister-in-law, sisters-in-law, and my wife are not similar. So even, like, Lux being kind of this wild child, right. they still, I still believe that they would just be, like, well, and at the end of the day, not to jump ahead and plot, but the only reason they even get to go to homecoming or it's the dance is because of Lux. And yeah. I think True. they realize that they had a taste of freedom for two hot seconds. It's true. To mm-hmm. come and, sail and away. Schnapps. Come sail away. Yeah, peach schnapps. They had a taste of peach schnapps. <laughs> Uh, I love Come Sail Away. It's, yeah, it's great. Uh, just to rewind a little bit, uh, Trip Fontaine sure. has a tremendous entrance into this movie, I yeah. think. And, and one of the sort of, talk about immediately understanding a, a character. Name. Trip Fontaine. Music. Giant sunglasses, leather jacket, leaning on a red Thunderbird, uh, walking through the halls with Hart's Magic Man. I mean, it's just, it's, it's fantastic. And you can see he's fucking loving it. Mm-hmm. Whenever she uses... Um, Time, appropriate music. Well, in this movie in particular, yeah. it's the record version with the crack. And you, hear you can it. hear the you crack. Hear the you can actually drop, hear the yeah. needle, needle physically it's drop so on the fucking vinyl. Cool. It's fantastic. Yeah, she it's does. Fantastic. I think there are two heart yeah. songs in there. Yeah, yeah. There's it's crazy so, on you. Obviously, yeah, is the, is it's the later so one, cool. You can hear the warmth of the record. Yeah. It's it's the definition of, of obviously a needle drop. Um, the first the shot of Trip seeing Lux for the first time when he sneaks into that class. And her turning and that pull into focus of her. I mean, it's just, it's, it's great stuff. Um, and there is something about the fact that trip is really kind of only into her because she doesn't give a shit about him. Like he, he's with, he can be with any of the girls, yeah. but it's the fact that she doesn't care about him that he's obviously into. Uh, I don't really know what to make of trip having two gay dads. I, I just, it's, it's an interesting thing. But they don't really do anything with it, and I'm not really sure. It's probably it was in the book, and my guess is that you just wanted it to be in the movie. But it doesn't really. I'm not sure how much it informs. I wonder if it uh, is supposed to speak to his like overcompensating teenage kid just lost all this weight kind of performance performance of heterosexuality, right? Like performance of sexual prowess and stuff. But it's better that it's kind of understood. Yeah, that they don't talk about it. I thought yeah, it was a great detail. Um, The scene of Lux and Trip in the movie courting each other. I love that scene. Is fucking great. Just them the tension in their hands, hands, and then that person making a farting noise in the background, (laughs) and that's what sort of makes them not. and it's like Tripp's awesome joke of like, you know that was Connolly. Like he even like has to like attribute it to somebody. I was like, that's so oh real. My God. It's, it's fantastic. So real. Uh, so then um, Tripp comes over for, I don't think it's dinner. It's like they just sit around they watching watch a, a movie. They watch a nature documentary. They watch a nature watch, documentary. Like, um, That's what yeah. we do in my house. That's uh, <laughs> how your daughter's I can't wait till suitors. Kenny has, has suitors coming for, uh, for, my for Layla. Uh, Suitors for Layla? My favorite band. Suitors. <laughs> that 1980 London scene. Suitors for Layla. Suitors for Layla. That's a nice name. Um, I don't Fantastic. know what's going to happen when that happens. We'll see. Fortunately, I have Rollins, uh, and he will um, fight on my behalf, sure. I hope. I don't sure. know. That sounds right. Protect his sister. Uh, so they watch a nature documentary. It's awkward. Uh, 
it's kind of whatever. He decides he's going to leave, or he's basically kicked out of the yeah, house. Yeah, they're actually a lot. It's like it's like tigers fighting, right? Or like lions. Fighting. Yeah, there's a lot of like imagery like, of weirdly yeah. violent imagery. There's yeah. the there's the fighter planes in the basement. There's mm. there's there's just some some violent Im- imagery Aggro. here and there. Yeah, yeah, it's just kind of seeping underneath the surface. But yeah, it's interesting. I mean, she's obviously made these choices. Um, I love but, the scene at the door where Lex walks him to the door, and she's like, "Okay." Can I like almost like a, I don't know what you think is going to happen sort of thing, mm-hmm. and you can tell that he I don't know that he even wants to make a move. He's just like he just wants to be in her presence. Um, and then obviously, I, ultimately, I think it's probably the best moment in the movie is he goes sits in his car, uh, and then she attacks him basically in her nightgown. That was in her the nightgown, quick change I've ever seen. It was yeah. very fast. Mm-hmm. I thought about that too. I'm like mm, time. Yeah. Anyway. She and Flat she circle. she um, she eats his face off. She eats his face off to Hard's crazy on you, and it's it is and at the end, fantastic. And then in the end, he's got her. He's got her gum. He's in his got mouth. her gum. <laughs> it's just and it's I, that's I, never not going to work. That's a it's a great. It's just only great. A movie thing, I like how you're like that's the best movie, moment of the movie. In my head, I'm like, there's 18 competing best moments of the movie. Yes, we'll get to my favorite. Keep going. I, I mean, I guess keep, it's... Keep dancing, Phil. Keep going. I guess going. I'd say it's my favorite moment in the movie is because it's... Hello, and welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999 with your new host, Alison Akel. <laughs> this is my podcast now. It's a hostile I'm the captain now. Uh, and it's only going to be 2,000 movies. <laughs> but I think the reason that I say it's my favorite moment in the movie is because it's joyous. Because it's yeah. just sort of... It is a... It is a a moment of just unbridled two you know kids just being kids and it's an amazing sort of yep. musical moment yep. and the car- all of it just feels fantastic to me um there are any number of other great mo- moments and we'll obviously talk about them but um so then trip asks mr lisbon if he and a group of guys can take the daughters to homecoming uh and james woods is he's interesting in that scene because he kind of doesn't he kind of hems and haws and says I don't really know. If, I think he if would I can like make that happen, yes. he just knows he's got to ask the boss lady. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Uh, but it's a nice moment. He goes home. He asks Kathleen Turner, and she, I don't quite know why she says yes, other than because I guess she feels like she has to. Well, the I girls think get so excited. I think yeah. she's also the the thing that this movie does subtly remind you of is this woman lost a daughter. And you know, part right. of her is like, right. is That's this my fault? So the reason she said very yes is because, like, she, she's I think, not a monster. No, and also there are two sides to "I lost my daughter" coin. It's like one is like saying yes to the dance, and the other side is like I'm locking you all in my room in the room. Which is what ultimately two happens real, after, very yeah. real human reactions to like what she's gone through, and is clearly not in her 1974 way processing. Right? Are you Absolutely. aware we get Kathleen Turner again in 1999? Uh, apparently not. A little movie called Baby Geniuses. Oh, of course. How could I forget? Oh my God. Can't wait. Can't Serial wait. Baby Geniuses is where the babies are murderers, right? That's yeah. what John yeah, Waters yeah, yeah, that's, mm-hmm. that's her finest yeah, it's a mashup. Yes. Uh, Hayden Christensen. <laughs> They're murderous shows us. genius babies. Yes, of course. Yes. Okay. You'd have um, to be. <laughs> you're not going to use that, that power for, for not murdering people. For not murdering <laughs> for people. Not murdering people. Uh, Hayden Christensen shows up as looking one of the kids. Adorable. Very, very cute. Looking very little. Uh, soon his career will be ruined. <laughs> you, guys like his, you guys like his looks better than I do. 
I mean, soon he will be Anakin Skywalker and his life will become wonderful and terrible very quickly in quick succession. Then he will become Stephen Glass and this guy really does something that not a lot of people do in that movie. I love that performance. Shattered Glass is a great movie. It's an amazing movie. He's great. I don't think that, I mean, I think Hayden Christensen can be a good actor. I think he just got fucking killed. Just put in a an impossible untenable, situation. impossible yeah. situation. He would have been a great Sebastian, too. Yes, he would have been a great Sebastian. Although, Skipping Ryan Felipe. Cool intentions, you guys. I'm just saying, Ryan Felipe has such an evil grin. He's got this, <laughs> the, the most evil of grins. I that can't he wait could, to talk about yeah, that. Later. Uh, I'm still right here, you guys. Can we please just. <laughs> no, oh no. This podcast is focused solely on the Virgin Suicides. No, you're, you're, you're. Captaining this ship. Go right ahead. <laughs> this is your what, podcast. What now. happened next to the movie, Allison? Well, I also want to talk about the fact that the only reason Trip picks them to like go with the girls is because like Hayden Christensen's smart and like will impress the dad. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. The doof who gets uh, Mary is like got great weed, and then yeah. Bonnie's chap Chay, yeah, whatever his name is, has yeah, a car. car. Yeah. It's great. Okay. All going. good reasons. Uh, Sloan is playing on the radio on the way to Homecoming. Great band. Great Toronto band. Um, Don't anyway. know. Sure, they're great. They're great. Um, I'll check them out. No, you won't. iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud. <laughs> they are on all of those things. Uh, <laughs> GeoCities. Yeah, just go to the GeoCities uh, Sloan page. Uh, I do love the line, Peach Schnapps, Babes Love It. Yeah. <laughs> that true. and You're a Stone Fox are two of the best. Yeah. You're a Stone, you're a stone Fox is like legit. Romantic. Oh, yeah. I love you're a stone, stone fox. It was always a stone cold fox, right? Stone fox is like a different thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's like teen dream category, yeah. right? Teen there. dream. Uh, then we get to your uh, come sail away scene at the homecoming dance, which is obligatory. Also a fucking amazing. So scene. great. Yeah, and they don't it's, do the they don't do the joke, uh, which is great. Obviously, the freaks and geeks joke. That, yes, you know the freaks and geeks. Another show. amazing period coming of age show set in like a midwestern suburb. Premiered in nineteen ninety nine. Yeah. We will be doing uh, some podcasts. Oh my on god! That. That, but but Alice, don't worry. Also, it really came out ran in into it. Yes, so I first saw it fine. in two thousand four. So. Uh, <laughs> I actually saw it around two thousand eight yeah. um, on DVD. Um, <laughs> the, the, the freaks and geeks joke, of course, for those of you who aren't familiar, is please that comes out as a tale of two songs. There's the slow song that one of the geeks, the yes. main guy, John Francis Daly, yeah. uh, works up his urge to dance with his crush the entirety yeah. of the song. And then when they hit, right as he's there the about the slow, they're right there about the slow song, it hits the fast oh, part. They right. have to fast dance. And yes. then it's just like, you're like, uh, what do I do now? But it's, a, it's so cute. It is cute. But uh, it's a great song. It's a great song. A Tale of Two Songs, the Tale Kenny Nybert story. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, truer than you know. <laughs> Captain Allison's coming back. Okay, so then, so then Trip, so then Trip takes uh, Lux and is like, hey, Lux, hey, hey, yeah, to the football field, mm-hmm. and it's that's some beautiful magic hour photography. It's, a, yeah, it's, it's fucking gorgeous. Uh, uh, and then Trip leaves her on the football field like a fucking idiot. I assume weird, they had sex, right? They definitely had okay. sex. Um, I every, can only assume because then she has sex with everyone. Every review I saw said they had sex, though I wasn't convinced. She had her tights on. Right. That's Thank exactly you. right. I wasn't convinced until I, I wasn't convinced while I was watching it that that's me too. But what are you gonna do? Um, I do love that they then cut to old trip. I know, and he's just like, "Why did I do it, man? Like, it's yeah, just I don't I know don't, why. I, I don't know why away. I left her. I don't know why I walked away." I mean, I do think that there is something to and and Roger Ebert has an interesting part in his review where he talks about this about sort of not just the like 
it's not even about the chase and getting the girl or whatever, but it's just that sort of that moment when you cross a threshold and it becomes too real. And I think that that potentially scared trip. He really liked her. He really liked her. her. And and, yeah. I I Uh, want to defend moments like that. I believe that a person could do it. Yeah. I also think that's an irredeemable move. It's it's a terrible Just in the end of the day, like I can't, I've seen people do things like it, but I can't really rationalize it. Yeah. It's, it's pretty brutal. Uh, Lux is late for curfew. Mrs. Libson uh, loses her shit, puts everything, puts them all on lockdown. She burns all of Lux's records, as we mentioned. Um, and then the boys watch through uh, a telescope and binoculars, uh, Lex having sex with all these guys on the roof late at night. I'm not really sure I understand how that logistically works out exactly. How you don't know that your daughter's fucking dudes on the roof. I agree. Um, it's a bit of a bump, and I'm I'm not entirely sure we needed it. Like I don't I don't know what it, it gets us exactly. It gets us to my favorite part of the movie. Oh, please. let's talk about that. Uh, I think I might know now, but please. It's so basically the idea that once once the Lisbon girls kind of get a hold of the fact that these guys are like st- are spying on them and like fascinated and watching through the telescope. They start kind of playing with light, right? As it starts with light and like Morse code, and the guys get so bent out of shape and frustrated. They're like, "Ah, oh, this doesn't that make it is sense." Pretty great. I know like, what the fuck's happening? And they're like, "Wait, what if we call them?" Right? They still have a phone, so they call one of the girls. Picks up, and they're like, they literally play a part of a song, it's the best. and they go, "Call us back five 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 one three blah, blah, and they hang up. Right? And then you have this whole beautiful sequence where they play each other. On brand, on theme songs to each other about loneliness and isolation and all of that through the phone. And uh, it culminates in them finally getting um, the note to come on over. Yep. Right? It's, I mean, it they're is, like, these girls need us. They need our help. Find our dead come bodies. on over. Wait, but, that was a hit song in 1999, come wasn't on over, it? Baby. Come I on over, baby. Well, that was when that album came hey. out. <laughs> Not summer 2000. So they basically, the they, they're Aguilar like, album. yes, with Genie and Bottle, too. Um, that me the right way. <laughs> <laughs> Never thought you'd have Kenny say that to you. But here's what I'll say, though, about yes, that scene me, please, and yes. what's. Amazing mm. about that scene and why I think it's possibly one of the most important thing or important scenes in Sofia Coppola's career is that it it perfectly encapsulates her, which is she is able to tell a story yeah. through these songs That's and great. communicate what's going on between these kids. It's it, I mean it, it's it's past needle drops, it's past all of that. It's using music in a completely different way to actually the tell the story. We as in you and I. Well, yeah, specifically you and I, actually. But um, but I mean, the, I mean, people our age. I yes, mean, people our age yes. with their you know making playlists, making yes. mixtapes, those crazy kids putting on music. To, I mean, you know, yes. making making workout mixes or yeah, yeah. making or I mean, I I've used music in in lieu of actually expressing my feelings more times than I can. No, I'm, I couldn't agree mention. with you more. Uh, tracks that tracks until I decided. I'm still always express my feelings on this podcast. <laughs> I'm so glad we have this opportunity to for Me too. you. It's been therapeutic. Uh, I'm, I'm still not sure I'm why they call them over to find the bodies. It's a little weird. I still don't really get it. May not have actually happened. I'm not making a joke. It may not have actually happened in that the kids Fucking may not have. Dead. No, I'm not making a joke. The kids may not have actually found it, and they may be embellishing. Found the bodies. They may be embellishing, or they may be misremembering. That kind yeah. of stuff happens. It does. I will not tell personal stories about this particular 
subjects, but I can the see that. The podcast serial, kind of actually, the first episode is very much about that. Right. The things we yeah. think exactly. we remember and don't. And Absolutely. Like, yeah. I, believe that, I believe that a kid could misremember yeah. finding those bodies and or embellish their role. In or it heard the story so many times you start to think you were there. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Um, so then we basically, we've come full circle at this point. We then see them getting taken away, uh, the bodies of the, of the Lisbon sisters. Uh, we have this toxic green look at the part at the parents party that we spoke of that probably happened, but maybe it didn't. It's a very, uh, very weird thing of it. It, it happened, guys. It happened. Watch but, the movie. But it really happened. Watch the movie. But it really well, happened. It definitely Kenny. happened in that it definitely was in the movie. Okay. So that was a, that was a Magnolia reference. Um, which we make literally every podcast. <laughs> the exact same uh, So I know. Us too. I We're love two you guys. Mag- Magnolia fans. Uh, let's talk about the soundtrack real oh my quick. God, yes. And then we'll... we'll, uh, we'll I only we'll... have one story about it. <laughs> okay. Uh, the album was nominated for Best Soundtrack at the 2001 Brit Awards. The French, French edition of Rolling Stone magazine placed The Virgin Suicides at number 49 on their list of the 100 essential French rock albums. In 2011, British He's magazine Enemy placed the album at number 11 on the 61 greatest soundtracks of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a great article, which you guys should look for, um, that Dissolve did just about Sofia Coppola and the way she uses music in her films. Um, I prefer Lost in Translations. Use of air, personally. That's just me. But, sure. But, I mean, Kevin Shields is really the one who's doing the score to but Lost in Translation. There are, a few, there are a few specific Lost in Translation moments. Mm-hmm. Um, Lost in Translation. Like the Kyoto trip. That's so good. Yeah, it's amazing. But, point... And, and I, 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 this is like, you know, six and one half and a dozen in the other, like this versus the air usage in 10 things i hate about you i don't know which is better <laughs> you're right you're right oh you're that right. sexy, sexy boy, boy yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which seems completely out of nowhere and really totally, from a different movie totally impressed you knew that um, wait that really happens in 10 things i hate about you yeah they actually I, use sexy, sexy boy. boy they drop all the the Yo, pamphlets all the flyers that? to, that's hilarious no i just guess because that's the only other air song i know that's not on the soundtrack yeah, it's it's a it's a slow-mo shot of them dropping sexy flyers for the for the yes, party exactly. all right anyway uh there's some interesting quotes one of which coppola reaches out to musicians like kevin shields air phoenix and kanye west to make music for her movies she constructs soundtracks from the ground up dodging conventional sources to make soundtracks that stand up on their own at this point it's cliche to describe coppola's music musical backdrop as characters in their own right really her soundtracks are less like characters and more like foundations for her stories nixing music in a coppola film uh, would be like ripping pages out of the script. Strip away a soundtrack like the Virgin Suicide score, or more than, or more than just the words of Carol King, uh, disappear. Much of that repressed, unexpressed loneliness does too. Mm. It really does feel like it's in the bones and the DNA of her films, and the soundtrack is a perfect example of that. I think. I agree. Uh, did you have a story about uh, the soundtrack? Well, so this is. I didn't appreciate the soundtrack when I saw the movie. Okay. What happened to me was. <laughs> I can't believe I'm going to end this podcast on a 9-11 story, but here we go. <laughs> this was the soundtrack that I, uh, that I guess like in a weird way, I just, I like discovered it around that time and used it to sort of oh, no. grieve and process. Is that strange? It's no, very strange. No. Specifically Gilbert O'Sullivan's song Alone Again, Naturally. I don't know why that song particularly, but like, I, I, you know, my roommate had it. I didn't, I never owned the soundtrack. Oh, really? Yeah. And she had the CD and we lived in DC and it was a very incredibly weird time. And it's such a beautiful soundtrack. 
and it was back when. Are you we had talking a, about Air's score, which I'm was its own the, thing? Oh, forgive me. I'm talking yeah. about the soundtrack. The she soundtrack had both itself. CDs. Sure, sure, sure. I'm talking, which actually featured one of the Air songs on it as it well. Did. Two apparently. Two of them: Playground of them. Love and then another one. Right. Although it was the, the vibraphone version of exactly. Of yes, yes, yes. The more, do 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 that yeah, one, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's got heart. It's, it's got amazing. Sloan on yes. there, actually. It's got the Hollies, The Air mm-hmm. That I Breathe, which is a great yep. song. Al Green's uh, How Can You Mend a Broken Heart, yeah. of course. Uh, Gilbert Sullivan's Alone, uh, Alone Again, Naturally. Uh, another heart song, Sticks, Come Sail Away. I'm Not In Love by 10CC. That one, okay. Also, that's also, also so also, you got to realize, I'm like 20, 20 21. Sure. I've never been exposed to a lot of these songs. I didn't like grow up on that kind of classic rock at all, too, yep. or 70s, like easy listening. And I think it is such an emotional soundtrack it that is. it is like a, it is catharsis on a soundtrack in a strange way, right? Absolutely. And uh, I'm really grateful for it. Like it was a, it was an interesting way to like process through music. This it's also strange like feeling. Yeah, I mean, I think that when you look at the cross section of songs, mm-hmm. it's really it feels very sort of. Um, it's the emotional roller coaster of adolescence. Do you know what I mean? The ups totally. and downs, and you and the swings of it. I think is really conveyed beautifully in the soundtrack. And I, I honestly, to contextualize, I do think that nine eleven was one of the like the time around that was one of those moments where it was like. It, I'm also really sad that this guy I love doesn't love me in college. Is that allowed still? Do you know what I mean? Like there yeah, were those things absolutely. where you'd be like, how do you process what you're going through emotionally when this other huge thing just seems to like permeate every part of your life? Yeah. And I do feel like that soundtrack was like, all these feelings are valid in a very weird way. Yeah. And I guess partly because I still associate it with movie, but even on its own, I, I, it is a perfect, it is a perfect soundtrack and a perfect score. I hardly remember uh, the time right after 9-11. I don't remember how I, how I coped. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. the end of my story. Nothing, nothing virgin <laughs> suicides. It's a good story. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Kenny will be here next week, guys, for more gems you know, like you, that. You know what the truth is? It's probably because I don't remember. Well, no. I blackout drunk. <laughs> well, now I'm going to go around being like, what's your 9-11 album? But I don't, it's not that something I would expect to happen, but it is like, I do, this soundtrack holds a special place in my like, heart it's, and memory, It's a great you know? soundtrack. It's, yeah. um, it's one of the best, I think. It is. I mean, Lost in Translation, also a great soundtrack. Uh, zero to ninety nine. Zero to ninety nine. Oh, how many? How many? Where, where okay, are we so starting? you're going to rank it from zero speaking, to ninety nine. Right? Yeah. Zero being the lowest, ninety nine being the highest, mm-hmm. fifty being the uh, the recommend or not recommend threshold. Well, this is my big fuck you to the seventy four percenters over <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes. So you're going to record. You're going to say what you thought of it in ninety nine. Mm-hmm. What you thought of it today before we sat down for the podcast, and then afterwards, as a, if if the podcast swayed you or changed your opinion in any way. Uh, okay. I think it was back in the day, first mm-hmm. time through, probably in 91, 92. Sure. Good number. Sure. Then number. watching it in preparation for this before the podcast, I was like 85? Interesting. Because of, okay, so it fell Because I'm really because having problems with it. My fifth act problems. Yeah. And then the after script does fifth act problems. Honestly, Scott. like Sophia, I mean, fifth act. go back, rework the fifth act. <laughs> I love it. No, but it was more just like me puzzling through it. Like, oh, is this an issue or is it not? I don't know. And after talking about it again, ninety nine, suck it, rotten tomatoes. Wow, whatever. Everyone should see this movie. It's a great movie. Ninety nine. That's our first ninety nine, by the way. Are you fucking kidding me? My hair. Do you have has a been bunch of dis- Do you have a bunch of dispassionate humans on this thing? I, yes, actually, we why go out of our way. It seems time to get on night people. to come here to talk about this movie, and not, I'm not going to give it a ninety nine. What am I, I re- made of salt? I, I re- can't even imagine. <laughs> I, that's not an expression. No, no, no. no it, it is now. now. <laughs> um, if, if it rains, you will. Not, Do I not melt? You, you will not melt into a puddle. Um, I thought okay. that was that was really cool. Not giving it an idea. I love it. Is really I love cool. it. Um, I feel strongly. 
My persistence of memory on this movie was uh, about a 72. Um, Interesting. In line with Rotten Tomatoes. I think, no, I know that was my, that was, that was like my 2000 whatever take my, that I think it was around a 72. Um, Cause I didn't feel going into it that it was the, that I was about to watch the masterpiece that you thought we were going to watch it. But before I came on here, <laughs> he I pointed think, at Phil guys, for those of you yeah, who can't was, see hand gestures through the radio, um, through the yeah, internet. No, I think they know, I think they know my you. When I, when I say you like that, <laughs> maybe true. I've earned your disdain over the time. Like you, yeah. um, going into, I, going into it, I, I wrote down, I said 79. So I thought it was 79 going into it. I'm going to bump it up a little bit. I think it's an 83 for me. Okay. Again, not going to be one of my top 10 of the year. Uh, not, it's about as much as I could like a movie mm-hmm. that I would say is not my kind of movie. Does that make sense? Oh, that's very fair. That's a fair evaluation. Yeah. Uh, in 99, I would say I was probably around where you were at on a Kenny. I probably would say like 75, 78, something like that. Like I liked it. Didn't love it. Didn't blow me away, but I liked it. Um, before this podcast, I'd say I was probably about a 85, 86. After I'd say I'm at about an 89 now. I think it's, a good it's number. I think solid. It's, I think it's. I think that good. your. Um, I think your work over the course of this podcast was that of a man What's who had, happening an, right who had now? an 89 mm-hmm. as a score for this film. Yeah, I think, I think that's it was fair. Perfect. And honestly, Thanks. I bet it's also harder for you guys having to contextualize so much of this. Like you're thinking and deep diving on all of these movies from this year, and contextually yeah. thinking it. Not me, not this chick. Not this one. I'm like busting through the door, being like, "Let me talk about 9/11." I'm like, like, I got thoughts to share about this movie. I love it. Oh my god, the shadow of someone just walked in here. It's weird. Is that true? Yeah, I just saw somebody. Did you see someone? Well, that's the end of us. (laughs) (laughs) Have to get get murdered. Go surreal. My last words will be go surreal. All right. So wait, wait. We will have a recording if we get murdered. So let's just keep this going. Yeah, it's gonna be great. Yeah. Next week on podcast. See, definitely. Oh my god! I'm not crazy. It was Ernie. Ernie He's here. It was Ernie. He will not be murdering us. That was Allison Akel. That was a legit reaction. I know it was. Yeah. I that wasn't, wasn't my like, 1940s radio play voice. He's not murdering anybody. It's going to be fun. What next, we week? next week? We're doing Any Given Sunday. There's no smooth way to transition from, from Virgin, Virgin Suicide to Any Given, any given Sunday. Sunday. Well, is there? No, Let's there see. Is there any there's... tie whatsoever? Hey, James Woods. <laughs> <laughs> Is there any tie whatsoever? Yes, yes, yeah, of course. The, the 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 world's the world's second most hated man was in both of these excellent movies. Excellent movies. Yeah, he was yeah. once one of our finest film actors. He was. And he was reputed to have an IQ of 180. Really? Well, that's the reputed right. fact. Um, <laughs> the reputed. But that word. is the connective tissue between these two films. It's true. God, that that man is versatile. Versatile. Uh, I mean, what's, yeah, two very different performances. What's your favorite James Woods performance? Oh, boy. Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. I mean, it, it might be... Uh, oh, my God. It was just... I just... Oh, Casino? Casino is definitely one of mine. Because he is a fucking gross dude. And, like, he's perfectly cast in that movie. Yes. He's, um, that, to me, yeah. that, that character, that yeah. relationship... Is uh, so singular. Yeah, I think about it all the time. Sure. I want to use it all the time in things I do. Yeah. Um, I love the idea of this this 
scumbum from your past still yep. having a hold over you for reasons that that are only yep. emotional. He's at a, he holds her emotionally hostage. I love that performance. My other one, a movie I don't believe you've seen. Um, it's called Digstown. I have not seen this film. I, believe, I remember seeing the the. I can see the video cassette box from my days, at, but I, I've never James seen James Woods and Louis Gossett Jr. Yeah. chilling out in the corner of a boxing ring. Did this this came up in uh, in a future episode, it, it, I believe. It comes up in future episode, play it to the bone. Play it to the bone, guys. Um, Get excited. If anybody has never seen Digstown, I highly recommend it. It is James Woods um, kind of showing why he became... Why he was who he was. He, oh, he was he very was, charismatic in his in his moment. He had this thing where, like, when he would play against type as a hero. Yeah. Almost, I mean, not to reference um, one of the great shows ever made, Entourage, but <laughs> almost that Ari Gold thing where, like, <laughs> when Ari was doing, when Ari was heroic, yeah. like, oh, shit, I want to go on the ride with him. James Woods had that same thing in Digstown. It's a wonderful movie. He is a guy that, I mean, if I'm going to be completely honest, and this has become a throw about James Woods, and listen, I hope you guys are enjoying it, but I do remember loving James Woods. Like he had a, a, there's a, 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 it's interesting, this is maybe a weird comparison, but he had a Dennis Miller vibe in terms of a very sort of acerbic kind of humor to him and this prickliness, like he seemed like a prick but you were kind of like in his corner. And then both those fucking guys are obviously like now I'm on an island. I'm more surprised that James Woods went where he went than I am that Dennis Miller sure, went where he sure. went. I just, I, he never struck me as a, a fuck. He always, I always, <laughs> and when you look at this, the, the, the performance we just, in the movie we just did, Virgin yes. Suicides, it's so sensitive. It's a very sensitive performance. He, He's very sweet in that movie. Yeah. He, yeah. The, an asshole yeah. can't give that performance. And yeah. I actually think that's true for any given Sunday too. Yeah. To, or, or in order to recognize what a villain that guy is in any given Sunday, you sure. can't be a piece of shit. So something happened to him. Yeah, brain chemistry issues, maybe or blackmail. Either way, breaking news <laughs> alert. So next week, next week, any given Sunday, <laughs> we haven't even talked about who the guest is. Uh, we have Xander know, Lehman, a real life show creator, a real life show creator, another real life show creator. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> 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 Another real life show creator. That's right. Um, Xander Lehman, great guy, created Casual on Hulu. Mm-hmm. Um, great show too, which I I really love that show. Uh, I he, do too. He came on for any given Sunday and was tremendous. Like, it was tremendous. It was a. It was. It was a really great episode, and I feel like you know. I don't know. It was it was a great vibe in the room. He was perfect. Uh, we had an amazing moment. You and him had an amazing. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if that's going to get on the pod. We'll but like, Who knows? Uh, it was a, it was an amazing it was Hollywood it moment. It was awkward, but, the, but not because of uh, not because of anything yeah. personal. Because yeah. I really enjoyed him. Yeah, and he was his great. company. Uh, I will tease it out a little bit like this. <laughs> I thought this movie was bad going into this yeah, yeah, podcast, yeah. Yep. and I think this movie is good now. I, I will say that I saw the movie in the theater, liked it fine. I'm an Oliver Stone fan most of the time, probably 60% of the time, something like that. Uh, rewatched it, did not enjoy the experience of rewatching it, went into the podcast very concerned about my lack of knowledge about football, but also just like what, how maybe potentially contentious this episode was going to be. And you and Xander really turned me around on a lot of stuff and gave me a lot of perspective that allowed me to enjoy the film again. Mm-hmm. So 
not to spoiler, but it, it's it's an interesting episode to sort of see how we deconstruct a film that is uh, decidedly aggressive, yeah, and um, prescient in a weird way too. Weirdly, like um, I think Jawbreaker is the is the best example of this thus far, but I also think Any sure. Sunday is a good example of you should know how to watch this movie yeah. before you watch the movie because if you watch it quote unquote the wrong way. Yeah. You will hate it. And I yeah. feel that way. I Jawbreaker, that's true for Jawbreaker, that's true for yeah. this movie, true for anywhere but here. There's some movies that yeah. we've done where someone has come on with the with with the right perspective. Yep. The perspective that I would say Phantom Menace would would, would be I one of them too. as well. Yeah. That someone has come on this podcast with the right perspective, the perspective that I think closely matches the director's vision and has shown us the way. Yeah. To view it. To view it. Well, so, and, and I will say too, you know. The, the Jawbreaker episode is probably the most kind of the the, the pinpoint one for me anyway. Where like I was I was re-listening to that podcast over the last couple of days, and I do feel like you know Heather really opened her eyes to it. But also I hope, and there's certainly inklings that we're going to get a chance to re-examine that film mm-hmm. with some other guests to be able to sort of come at it because I think our perspective was a little bit warped on that movie. Like I think we sat down in front of it with the wrong set of eyes. And I think that some of these movies, Any Given Sunday is another example of that, of like you need almost like a decoder ring in a weird way yeah. to be able to see it. And so anyway, Any Given Sunday, great episode. Um, it'll be up next week. Always great to have you. Always welcome back. You guys, are thank you, on, you so much. Are you on, you're on Twitter. You're on Instagram. What yeah, are, it's just are your my handles? name. <laughs> Allison, Allison Eagle, which okay. is A-L-I-S-O-N-E-A-K-L-E. Just to keep you on your toes. <sighs> Listen, I retweet a lot. I'm just going to warn you guys. She does. She retweets a lot. But you do tweet from time to time. I do. I get very angry about things you do. sometimes. I work um, it out. Yeah, so do I. Who yeah, doesn't? I like it. Yeah. Kenny's at Nybart sure on Twitter. Sure. Uh, I'm at PM Iskov on Twitter, on Instagram. We have uh, an account for the show at podcast like 1999. Todd Vanderwerf is at T V O T I. Yeah. Loves, uh, he's been on here a bunch of times. He's going to keep coming on. He's going to keep writing articles about us, hopefully. And uh, please rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. If you liked this podcast, the next one is starting at 10 o'clock. It's going to be even loopier. Yeah. <laughs> Talk to you later. Later. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want truly hydrated skin? Meet Osea's Body Care Breakthrough, Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER.